Tonight's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by Spotify, which offers the best podcast listening experience around. You can change speeds. I'm a 1.2 guy. You can go discover new podcasts, the biggest podcasts, hottest trending podcasts, podcasts separated by genres, whatever you want. Spotify has it all. You should be listening to your music on Spotify. Listen to podcasts on Spotify as well. We're also brought to you by FanDuel, where we have a new contest. Every day there are playoff games. It's called the Ultimate Hoop Springer Contest. $5 entry fee per contest. If you win that day, you get a ticket to the leaderboard series during the NBA Finals where all the winners will compete for a share of 50K cash, ringer swag, and to be deemed the sole survivor of the ultimate hoop springer. I thought I was going to win day one, and then my team tailed off. Porzingis got kicked out. I'm still recovering from that one. Learn more and enter at fanduel.com slash hoops ringer. You can enter every day right before the game start. Age and location restrictions do apply. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where we launched a couple new podcasts recently, including 10 Questions with Kyle Brandt. You can check out the Ringer NBA show, where we are trying to react to as many of these games as possible. And uh, and that's it. Uh, coming up, we taped a lottery show today, earlier today. Um, it was me, Roger Bell, Kevin O'Connor, and Ryan Rossillo. And we went on about an hour before the lottery. We broke down all the playoff stuff. And then uh, went right to the lottery as it was happening and tried to decipher what it meant, what it meant for Golden State Chicago and things like that. So that is happening. And then the ringers, Nora Princiati comes on just to talk about um, the upcoming NFL season, a couple of things to watch, and then somehow it ended up into a uh, Taylor Swift conversation because she is a major Taylor file. So that is the podcast for today. I left a little bit open here at the top. Because just in case this Lakers-Blazers game was going to be exciting, but um, as you probably know by now, not that excited. The Lakers showed up. They took care of business. It's a sweep. We're heading back to Portland for game three. Oh, no, we're not heading back anywhere. It's just in the bubble. Uh, the things to watch, I guess, for this weekend, we have um, you know, Utah-Denver. I think Utah's better. Vegas doesn't seem to agree. De Denver is favored by one and a half points against Utah in game three, and I just think... At gunpoint, I think Utah just has a better team. The Celtics are only favored by five against Philly. I think that series is over. I thought Philly rolled over. Uh, Clippers-Dallas is the magical series for, for Friday and just every two days from this point on because Dallas is for real. They at least have a, a, a really good strategy to go against the Clippers, in my opinion. They're going to bomb threes. They're going to keep shooters out there as much as they can. And they're hoping that this is a best player in the series series, and that Luca is the best player. I think they caught a lot of people's attention in game two. And, and to be honest, the Clippers just don't totally look like the Clippers yet. Harold's just coming back. Um, their guards, I, you know, Beverly missed game two. Lou Williams doesn't seem like he's Lou Williams yet. And uh, they just, this is the perfect round to catch them. You know, and if they did catch them, they'd be playing the winner of Utah, Denver next round. Obviously, that'd be a massive upset if Dallas won. But uh, whoever wins this series gets Utah, Denver next round. I think whoever wins this Clippers Mavs series is making the Western Finals. So, and then on the other end, you have Houston, who's going to beat OKC, it looks like. It just looks like they're peaking at the right time suddenly. And then they're going to have one of the most bizarre series of all time if that plays out that way against the Lakers, assuming the Lakers win where you have these small ball 
crazy shooting 60% of threes of all their shots rockets um, going against this big clumsy Laker team. And it's a classic weirdo series. <laughs> I have no idea what to expect. Um, the East seems like it's, it's, we kind of know where we're headed. We're headed for Boston and Toronto and, and we're headed for uh, Miami, Milwaukee, which is going to be a barn burner. I think these round two series are going to be really, really great, but uh, we got to get through round one once. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Russell and I'll be talking about all that stuff on Sunday night coming up our lottery show. And then Nora Princiati in the NFL first, our friends from Pearl Jam. Here we go. It's the lottery show. This is, I think, the fourth year we've done it. And if you need to know anything about 2020, I think you could just see how we're doing it this year. It's all on Zoom. We have Raja Bell here. We have Ryan Rossillo here. And from Laffy's, it's Kevin O'Connor <laughs> with a brick background behind him. <laughs> I don't know. What time is your set tonight? Uh, 8.30. <laughs> okay, great. Um, well, we're... <laughs> We were supposed to go on at five o'clock PT, but then Milwaukee decided to just kill Orlando. So we just said, screw it. We'll go up early. There's nothing to watch here. Um, let's talk playoffs first. Raja, biggest thing that's jumped out to you here the first four days. Um, uh, how much better I think the, the Dallas looks than I thought they were going to look. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I said, I said on Monday that I didn't think defensively they were going to be able to to get enough stops, but I had discounted the fact that no one's actually playing defense in the bubble except for maybe Houston. So like in an, in an offense only type of environment, they're, they're perfect. Rosillo, why aren't people playing defense in the bubble? Well, What's I would add on? Toronto, I would add Toronto to that group that was playing defense. Okay. I, I think, I think what we've seen is that, you know, we, <laughs> it does remind me of teams in the past that have done nothing who have talent and go, don't worry about it. We got this. They're like, what are we giving you the benefit of the doubt for? Like, I don't mind giving the Warriors the benefit of the doubt when the defense slips a little. I don't mind giving the Bulls the benefit of the doubt when it's the third season when they're trying to get this done. But the Clippers as a group hadn't done anything. And you know what? We didn't know what the roster, we didn't know what the rotation was going to look like. We just really liked their two best players. And that hasn't looked right. The Lakers are the worst shooting team in the bubble other than the Wizards. And they told us, don't worry about it. We're fine. And I think you're already going to see some changes to that rotation. And you can even say for Milwaukee, uh, Bud tried a bunch of different lineups, and I think that bit him in the ass a bit in game one, not game two. But what what I liked was that there were certain teams that felt like they were taking the lineup and rotation and effort level seriously, and I think some of the best teams were the ones that were already over it before they got there. I'm wounded you didn't throw the Celtics into the good defense group. I, I thought we... Thought we had some moments there. I figured you would shake Milton and final. I, I, I just expected that you would bring it up at some point, so I was just going to uh, right, let fair. you do that one. There Can't are certain. See, te uh, well, there are uh, certain teams that are defending, but I also feel like every team's just shooting the ball at a high level. I mean, I'm curious, Raja, like playing in the NBA, how much do you feel like being in a neutral site without any travel, you know, without fans, is actually helping all these corner three three point shooting percentages skyrocket? Yeah, no. All, all jokes aside, I mean. The, the, it is definitely um, easier to shoot the ball when you don't have all the distractions of being in a in a gym with all the distractions that can be in an NBA gym. Like you're you're just in there grooving it. Um, 
all your teammates, you can hear all the encouragement and stuff. You know, it's just a different vibe than being in a gym with all the distractions, let alone the travel and all the other things that go into NBA, um, you know, game day. But it, being in a, a relatively um, sterile gym is, is what you do. That's what you grow up doing. It's where you get all your practice reps. And so you're naturally going to shoot it better, you know, in that kind of environment. Do you think at least part of it is these guys can't do anything other than focus on basketball and take care of themselves and get a good night's sleep, not deal with the media. They're not out till five in the morning. Like they, we're getting the best versions of them. I would say from a mental standpoint, potentially right or no. Yeah. Wait, NBA guys go out till five in the morning. Yeah. You, you know, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're night owls. What? What? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, there's something to all of that. Like when you, you know, when, when you have nothing to focus on except hoop um, and you eliminate distraction, yeah, there's a case to be made for you getting a, a better product. And I, I kind of felt like going into the bubble. Plus, you know, the other thing is is a lot of guys had a lot of rest. And when you're talking about shooting a ball and scoring a ball, um, fatigue plays a, a role when you get 60, 70 games in. And, yeah. you know, I, I think you see some fresher legs and it's you're, it's 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 kind of manifesting itself in... in and better scoring, better offensive play, at least. The, the no travel. I feel about Rasilla. I feel like the, the break's been good for you. I, I feel like you're at a high level lately, too. <laughs> I don't know. I've been in self-isolation for six months. Nobody's taking this yeah, more seriously. Yeah, just focused on basketball. Yeah. Um, people know the deal. I mean, Postmates is, is thinking about just sending me clothing. Uh, but I... <laughs> I, I, what I What I kind of can't wait for, though, is that we know, and Raja knows this better than any of us, but it's also a human nature thing is that if you give people excuses, they're going to use them. And whoever gets eliminated is going to blame the time off. Whoever gets eliminated early is going to say it's because of the bubble. And I mean, it's impossible to be as prepared as you could be for this. It's impossible to be as rested as you guys have all mentioned. You're not on a flight for over three plus months. All you're doing is basketball with that break. And I still, I know it's going to happen. I can't wait to see who the person is that writes it, but whatever good team goes out earlier and then their beat writer, who's also the PR person, which is a huge problem that I have as I make these little <laughs> remarks, but it's going to be like, you know, they got real tired there around game six, game seven. And you're like, if you got tired that time, then what's your point of even being a pro athlete? Because it's never been, as you guys have said, you've never been in a better situation for this. So um, it, it'll be funny because I, I haven't disagreed with anything you said. I just know that that storyline is going to come for a team that goes out a lot earlier than they thought they would. Well, it's almost like the quarantine, we've talked about this, says if your relationship isn't good, you know, I'm exactly. sure all of us know people in, the, in, in our circles who like, oh, they broke up. Yeah, quarantine got them. <laughs> where you're just you're together all day, and I think, I think the Sixers are going to be the the uh, example basketball example. Like, yeah, man, quarantine got him. Koc, take the floor there at Laffy's. Uh, give us your super disappointed, can't believe it Sixers take. Just sucks, man. It just sucks. You got Joel Embiid, who you know for all his faults, you know he's tired at the end of the games. It still feels like when you're playing around this guy some of the talent that they have that the, the product should be way better than it is. Tobias Harris, somebody they're paying $30 million, putting up the low numbers that he is. Al Horford falling off a cliff. It's just disappointing, man. And then Brett Brown's inability to adjust game to game, just Oof. season after season continues just to disappoint. And, and you know, I ranted about this yesterday on Twitter. I just feel bad for Sixers fans because it's like, what do you do next after, after you lose to Boston? They're going to lose. 
what do you do after this? Who like who's taking on that Harris deal or that Horford deal? Nobody trading and beat or Simmons. What do you do? Yeah. Let's ask Raja, the only guy who worked for a team out of the four of us. Although Brazil and I feel like we're we're both like we could have done this. It's just nobody's <laughs> asked us yet. Raja actually worked for a team. Um, so you have you have two of the five most untradeable contracts, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Harris is in year one of a hundred eighty million dollar deal. Horford has three years left, I think, for almost twenty eight, twenty nine million a year, and just over the last two years, because this started last year in Boston, athletically looks like he's moving into a different phase of his career. And I don't know how you dump either of those guys, unless you're taking somebody else's problems back. What would you do? Where would you start? Um, you know, I, I wouldn't even start with those two. Uh, I would start with like really trying to figure out, um, if I'm sure that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid can work together. Like I, I have to sort, that out. And if I'm in the Sixers front office, um, personally, the answer is no. Like, I don't think that that's a good marriage. I don't think that's a good way to, to build um, a team for both of those guys individually. Like, you, you, I think that you have to pick one and, and then tie your, tie your horse to, to that player. So from there, um, and only from there, can I start to try to figure out like if I can package something and get off of one of those contracts, which you know, you just alluded to the fact that it's going to be almost impossible. But I, I think I start a step pri- before that. Like, I have to figure out if Embiid and Simmons can play together going forward. And if that's the way I want to build my team around the duo. And I really don't think I would if I were the Sixers. I think, is there anybody on this four-person Zoom right now who thinks that those guys should stay together long-term? Because I am in the no camp. There are at least some numbers if you track like the two-man offensive per 100 possessions. It used to be atrocious, and then it was bad, and then it was like almost acceptable. But I still felt like whenever I would track kind of the closing minutes of a, of a very tight game, and it, it's not even a, a criticism of either one of those guys. They're just the worst pairing. Be like, hey, what's a perfect center? Okay, well, it's this guy Embiid. All right, well, what's this unbelievably modern, you know, guy that could could play all five positions defensively, but probably shouldn't initiate and space off a big because he can't shoot, but maybe could drive like Giannis and kick out to other people. Oh, this guy, Ben Simmons. All right, well, how would they fit? Oh, that wouldn't really work. They they kind of duplicate some of the stuff that they both do. You know, it's it's not... Look, they're probably going to stay together because they're going to give a new chance, a coach, to try to figure this thing out. And the other part of it is, what do you trade that you actually like that you think makes you better, which you always have to worry about with this stuff. But, you know, the Brett... The Brett's, I don't know if KOC was tracking this. I think when Boston went zone a couple times just to mess with Philly, which is a really good thing to do against Philly, whenever you want to get him thrown off, they're, they're terrible against zone. Miami did it to him a ton. I think Brett was like, hey, do you guys want to try zone too? Like, I forgot. <laughs> and, and, and they ran some zone stuff. And I was like, are they only doing this because the Celtics did it a couple of minutes before? And that's just kind of what it felt like. And, I, I, you know, I don't get mad at Brett for not ripping the guy's effort, but their effort was really bad yesterday. And they had two specific plays, and I'll end the rant here, but they go full court press the start of the fourth quarter, be like, all right, guys, let's go. And they gave up two offensive rebounds, back-to-back possessions of Canner. And you go, all right, cool. Cool full court press. You didn't box out the big. It was so bizarre to watch the the putting Shake Milton on Kemba, just keeping him on him. Not when you have like Josh Richardson, the teams that have really succeeded against Kemba usually put like the taller athletic guy on him so yeah. they can at least challenge a shot. Philly's like, we're not doing that. And then they were like, uh, hey, Joel, um, just hang out under the basket. 
just pretend this is like a pickup game, but it's the third hour of the pickup game where you're just trying, trying to get through the rest of the day. Don't come out. Don't jump out on anybody. It was bizarre to watch. KOC, what would you do if you, if, if, uh, if you're running Philly? I mean, I'm with you- Raja. I, I'm with Raja that that Embiid Simmons core is probably what you need to break up. You, the, the toughest decision is probably the right decision for Philly because you can also get the greatest return for Embiid or Simmons to reshuffle the deck however you want to. My, I mean, my understanding is they're not going to break those guys up. Like Ryan said, uh, they're probably going to give Yeesh. this next coach an opportunity and see how things work out. And, and I think it can work. With Embiid and Simmons, they just took Toronto, the champions last year, to game seven and lost on a four-bound shot by Kawhi. They've had success with those two guys despite their overlapping weaknesses. They can still work together, but I'm not so sure, to Rajah's point, that they can reach the heights that they should with those types of talents. And the best best ideal scenario for those guys is probably some type of trade. Like whether it's Embiid or Simmons, is finding some type of ball handling weapon at wing or guard who can actually run high pick and roll with you. And Can I give you a trade? Or, yeah, give it to me. Been thinking about this one. I'm sure it's been on the internet. I'm saying I invented it. If there's a, a trade with Beal and Simmons in it, it does a lot of things for each team for the, the kind of point that each team is in, right? The Beal thing is just going to be a better fit with Embiid for a variety of reasons, but he's also somebody who can initiate and at least create shots for other people off of his offense. And then if you're Washington, you're rebooting anyway. You're a couple years away. You're putting um, somebody that I think we all think is uh, one of the best 15 guys in the league in a situation to kind of, quote unquote, have his own team. Raja, yes or no on that one? Uh, I'm not going to say no. Um, I, I like it. I think if you're going to go from from Philly's perspective, though, you're still going to need the primary ball handler to tie those two guys together. They're both guys while... Bradley Beal gets his own. I, I think he's in more of a comfortable space when you have someone um, that can create a little bit too and can kind of facilitate offense. So I think you'd need to pair them with a good guard, but I like it because I think Ben needs, ben, ben specifically needs to be on a team where they can explore everything that he can do. Like, let's really get into who he is. Um, Ryan kind of talked about like this new wave of player that can do a lot of things. Well, you know, I, I don't think you've seen all that he can do. Like, I think if totally you just agree. put it in his hands and let him go, um, you know, and then you build around it once you figure out what he is, you have more chance for success. So I like it. You just got to give me a point guard to go with him in Philly. How about Mike Conley? Little Mike Conley, Al Horford. That's probably not enough for Simmons. Big contract for big contract. Oh, oh, oh you, mean, you mean get Conley just in for Horford? Yeah, you're just like, hey, man. He's making a lot of money. I don't know. He's making a lot of money. What do you think? Swap? Maybe if Utah also decided to flip Gobert elsewhere and they totally reshuffled what they want to oh, do. That, they could bring this in is Horford my kind to be their of podcast big, now. You know. I love this. Let's let's bring more dudes into this. I love it. I would think Utah would say we had cheaper, younger Horford. His name was Derek Favors, and we finally had to move on. Yeah, we couldn't figure that. out what to do with them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. look, better peak Horford was a hell of a lot better than than peak Derek Favors ever was, but the Horford stuff yeah. is so bad now. I, I think if there's one positive from all of this, which Sixers fans, you know, have to deal with this, and I'm sure they've been really annoyed. Like when I think of Embiid's start to his story, you don't play two years, he's been healthier than I thought he would be. Oh, yeah. Which is which is a huge plus. So there's value there, even though I would imagine more front offices are probably still a little worried of, is this guy ever conditioned right? Am I, am I staring at some sort of problem? Whereas Simmons, 
I'm telling you, teams were done with him about a year and a half ago, maybe. It, it felt like teams had just totally given up on him. You know, those playoff games where he had four shot attempts. Um, I had heard some rumors about different offers that were out there where you thought at the time, my gosh, Philly should have just said yes to that. And whatever the issues are, I think his value around the league is a lot higher because of some of the stuff that we've seen from him and just the way that I think teams have more of an open mind of him initiating more of their stuff. If he ever ends up getting traded, it'd be kind of the guy. Simmons has gotten better, too. I mean, this season, I feel like he made a a leap as an at-rim finisher unassisted around the basket. I believe he shot around 67% on unassisted shots around the rim in the half court. And that's an elite number for a guy who previously both in college and early in his career struggled around the rim because he's so right-hand dominant around the basket. So he got better there, not to mention he's become an all-defensive team player. He's one of the best defenders in all of basketball. And you put a guy like that on a team where it's built around him, you know, with a, a a partner in crime who's running the offense, handling the ball, whether it's a Bradley Beal or a Chris Paul or Mike Conley, it could be special there when you have spacing with Simmons. So I, I feel like I used to be on the side of wanting to build around and beat if it's only one of the two, but I've transitioned to to more preferring to build around Simmons because of what he does for you with his versatility on defense and what he can be if you, you actually have space on the offensive end of the floor. I totally agree, and I would pick Simmons if I had the choice, only because I think he's a safer pick. I don't I don't know what the next seven to eight years of Embiid look like physically. I mean, it might be great, but I know at least with Simmons, especially from what we I voted for him for 13 mile NBA. I was so impressed with the D with him. And I was I was Stan Van Gundy, I think, during the game yesterday was talking about just raving about what an awesome defender he was. And I do think that slipped through the cracks a little bit with him publicly. I don't think people realize that he's way up there. Raja, you are our defensive guru expert. Um, where is he? Is he top level for you? Would you put him in your five best? Five best for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I I heard the 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 broadcast too, and you know, Van Gundy was saying he's the best defender in the league. When you, I mean you're splitting hairs there. Like, I don't know that I'm ready to say he's the best in the league, but top five, certainly. Um, Look, versatility and length defensively are are just things that you can't recreate, right? So you get a guy that size who can move his feet and stay in front of things, but it's big enough to handle, um, you know, bigs. That's, that's, that's valuable. Like I was a good defender. I could only guard one through three and that's a small three because I was six, five, 200 pounds, right? There was a limit to what I could do. Sean Marion was more valuable because he was 6'8 and could guard one through four. So, you know, Ben Simmons is a is a great defender and that length and, and ability to move his feet make him really, really versatile. Hey, Raji, can I ask you a follow-up on those two guys? Because this is something I complimented Bill on. And whenever I compliment Bill too much, then everybody just thinks I'm kissing his ass. But <laughs> it's, it's, it's a great point about tanking and that the writers love tanking because the writers feel like I could be a GM, so I could just tank too. The hinky worship is, loves it. The hinky <laughs> worship the is like beyond, you know, and something that Bill said years ago was good. You know, one of the dangers of it is when you just decide, hey, let's be total losers here for three years and then we'll just turn it on and be winners. That's it's a really overlooked part of it. And I had heard, you know, Jimmy Butler was like, get me out of here. I had heard Tobias Harris was like, all right, I'll stick around for 180 million. Right. What do you know about 
maybe the bad habits and the poor foundation, despite the talent of Simmons and Embiid, that maybe lead to some of their struggles because of what they were allowed to kind of get away with. And basically, it's like, we don't even want you to play for a few years, do whatever you want, get bad habits, lose a million games, be around this, but then you're going to turn this on. Yeah, that's a, it's a good question. And I can't speak to sp- uh, Philly specifically because I'm not in that building. Like, I don't know. But I, I too, when they started with the whole, we're just going to tank and I, like you... I coach youth teams, right? And and I really believe you learn to lose and you learn how to be, you know, a loser the same way you learn how to be a winner. Like you you put stock in things as a winner that become important and their foundations and cornerstones to like, you know, the beliefs uh, that make you a championship level organization. And then on the flip side, you develop terrible habits. I mean, even, you know, eating habits, you're talking about sleeping habits. We're talking about being in that bubble and people being out to all hours at night. Um, you know, having good vets in gyms that teach you how to stay in gyms and stay dedicated to 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 honing a craft. Like I, I got to play with the Michael Finleys of the world. I had Terry Porters and Avery Johnsons and Aaron McKees and Steve. Like those guys were were all winners and champions who taught me, you know, how to be a pro. And so, a lack of that in your gym and you're losing and you're promoting it, like out in everybody's face like it's going to teach people how to lose and the risk you run is when you want to win that you've conditioned a whole lot of really talented players to be losers and i know that this is an nba pod but i was worried about that last year with the dolphins they just wound up with a really good coach and brian flores who who was even though they tried to tank he was creating a culture where they were competing every night but philly didn't do that and and that's what you wind up with not all the time but you certainly run the risk of winding up with that Look Thing at Raja pulling that, some NFL in here. Yeah. There's, I wasn't expecting that. Jesus, that wasn't on your scouting report. <laughs> Go ahead, KOC. Sorry. No, I mean, I, I don't I don't totally buy this, though, with Philly, though, because the last time they had a losing season, 16-17, the only players from that team still on the current team are Embiid and Simmons. And we've seen Simmons, who was really bad on defense at LSU, a guy that was criticized as somebody who maybe doesn't care about winning. We have seen him turn into a a guy who impacts winning. Joel Embiid, a guy who did have conditioning issues, has continuously got better as a post player. I mean, he's tried to get better as a as a jump shooter. It hasn't happened. He's also gotten better as a defensive player. I feel like Embiid and Simmons, the only guys from those tanking teams, the end of the the process have become great players. They just don't fit together. I, I think the mistakes were like drafting Okafor. The mistake was Colangelo trading trading up and getting Fultz. I feel like Philly is in this position because of personnel errors, not process errors. I think Hinky was on the right track with what he did. There was just a couple mistakes along the way that totally screwed this whole thing up. Right, but you had said before, they've shown this just said they play, they've won one playoff series if they don't win this one. Yeah, yeah I'm more in the Raja camp. Great. Well, yep. the thing is, the other thing with Simmons, and I don't know, I just noticed this this year. I felt like he was the most competitive person on the team other than Thibault. Like when I watched him, it, those were the two guys that you could count on if you're just flicking league pass. Like, oh, those two guys give a shit. But to KLC's you point, I don't think yesterday. we saw that. Yeah, we didn't see that with Simmons early on, I don't think. Just this season, I felt like we saw it, though. Yeah, I, no, I, I did I'm feel like there was a competitiveness did, yeah. to him. Yeah. Um, and Thibault, and that was it. And, you know, what we saw yesterday in that Boston game, I thought that was really kind of illuminating, like to the point where it's like, man, it's almost like they, what was that story? 
This was, I think, in your era, Raja. No, it was, might have been earlier. The one, two, three, Cancun with Nick Van Exel. <laughs> when the huddle, yeah, when they were down three me. nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was before you. <laughs> uh, the Lakers about to get swept, and he famously was like one, two, three, Cancun, and yeah. then they got swept. That's where they became at. a big yeah. thing. Like you can Google this story, but sometimes teams look like they checked out. And to me, the Sixers look like a team that's that's done. And then you hear Embiid after the game talking about. Uh, you know, the, the old way we would be coming back home for game three with our fans. It's like, yeah, well, there is no old way. There, this is, you're playing in a neutral gym and you had to win one of those first two games and you completely rolled over in the second game. So, um, I don't know the answer with them, but I know that the, the Harris to me, the Harris thing is actually the, the worst thing that they did because they gave up all their remaining assets in that trade. I don't think he was the greatest fit with last year's team. And then they compounded the era by giving him 180 million, which is just bonkers. It was, we said it at the time. It was especially when there's like money. four other teams that had decided when they had him for a little while. And it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of like some of these, around. these 18 point a game guys that are like, man, 18 hit some corner threes. The efficiency's nice. Okay. There's been four teams that are like, we don't want to pay him because they had Imagine him in the building every night. Do, you did this on Logan Murdoch with, with him on Ringer NBA show, but do it again quickly. When you were in the Cavs, the tears oh, yeah. that you guys had for like how you, how you rated the players. Cause I think in my opinion, when teams really get into trouble with contracts, it's always when you're given the Nick Batum contract, the Tobias Harris contract, 29 million for Andre Drummond. That's I don't mind overpaying superstars. It's when you overpay that guy below, but tell the, tell them about the tears that you guys had. Yeah, it was, uh, it, you know, you sat down and you took every NBA player and you were ranked like one through, I don't know, six or seven, something like that. And then you were attached like an A, B, C or a D after that. And then a one A is, you know, I don't know, 10 guys in the league. They can be the, like Harden. the best player on a championship level team, undoubtedly. Right. And then, you know, it would, you would fall, you'd slot accordingly. So if you were number two, like let's use Gordon Hayward, who was a really good player, um, but I never thought he was a 1A because I didn't think he could be your best player on a championship level team. You wind yep. up at like 1B or 1C. So you're still, you know, a really good player. But Tobias Harris is probably like a 2A, great character guy. He could be like uh, your second or third option on a good team but he's never going to be like a, a one, you know what I mean? So they, they slotted and they were really, Griff was really smart. I probably not a two a for Tobias, maybe like a three a, but um, they weren't going to pay you if you were substantially out of the slot that they had you, they just wouldn't mm. do it. So, so Hayward was, is probably a one C, but because of the market, you talk yourself into him being kind of somewhere between a one a and a one B, Yeah, but really he's a one C. I, I like the way you do that. KOC. Should we, should we start adopting that for all of our basketball? What do you think? You like? I'm this? all about it. I'm all about it. <laughs> you love uh, tears. I, I do love tears. Rush is at your tears corner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like that from Griff. I, I wouldn't say Hayward's a one C anymore though. That's for sure. He's he's fallen Oof. down a couple a couple tears. Probably down to three, unfortunately. Right. Hey, hey guys, ESPN has workout footage of LeBron pregame. Oh, did you guys miss it? <laughs> what? <laughs> They, somehow they were able to get access to him working out with a trainer before the game started. Let's take a break to talk about Simply Safe. Here's the thing about home security companies. Most trap you with high prices, tricky contracts, lousy customer support. So while there are a lot of options out there, there's only one no-brainer. Simply Safe, they've got everything you need to protect your home with none of the drawbacks at traditional home security. An arsenal of sensors and cameras to blanket every room. 
window and door tailored specifically for your home professional monitoring. That keeps watch day and night, ready to send police, fire, or medical professions if there's an emergency. You can set it up yourself in under an hour. Just peel and stick the sensors exactly where you need them. No technician required, no contract, no push to sale, guys, no hidden fees, no fine print. Everything starts at 15 bucks a month. U.S. News and World Report, they also think Simply Safe is great. They call it the best overall home security of 2020. They have been a sponsor of this podcast for many years. We highly appreciate uh, how good they are. Head to simplysafe.com slash BS and you get a free HD camera. That's for my listeners. Once again, Simply Safe with two eyes. Simplysafe.com slash BS. Back to the lottery show. All right, let's talk about this lottery because it's coming up in a little bit. Um, it's starting at 5.30. It's 5.05 right now. Is this the worst lottery of the 21st century, KOC? It's the worst lottery since I've been doing this. Um, yeah. But I don't think that makes it a bad draft. I think there's a lot of good potential role players that can be had in the middle of the lottery, late lottery, and throughout the first round, and, and guys who impact winning, like we saw with Matisse Thibel this year, like we saw with Brennan Clark on Memphis, like we're seeing with Dort on OKC who went undrafted. There's those types of guys. But at the top of the draft, whoever wins these top four picks, you know, I've had conversations with execs and GMs and people who have potential lottery picks, and they're like, we're fine staying where we are. We don't love the guys up top, and maybe that's just them talking it down. But I, I don't, I don't think so. It's pretty consistent that the top players have so much risk that maybe for a lot of teams, you'd rather have a a quote unquote safer option elsewhere in the draft where you're not paying nearly as much money for the player either with a rookie uh, rookie scale contract. Rosillo, good thing or bad thing that we didn't have March Madness to overreact to with some of these guys. Uh, it was a bad thing for the class because someone would have had a great story. Somebody would have put together a nice run here and we would have talked ourselves in. So it's probably better that we didn't have it so we didn't trick ourselves into thinking the top of this draft is really special. Whenever I've done, and I've done like my own 20, I can't believe some of the guys I have to put down as like the fourth or fifth best prospect. I, I just, I can't. I can't believe it. And, you know, like every draft, the closer we get to it, um, people... People will talk themselves into some guys, you know, once the slots are figured out tonight then those teams are going to start saying, Hey, you know, they'll have the fourth pick. We go, this is really a four person draft. We see it as like four people, you know, and then hoping that we repeat it over and over again. Um, but I know in, in talking to some people, they're like, if there was ever a draft, I didn't want to have to evaluate more. <laughs> it's this one. Like we kind of knew what it was in June, like we normally would have. And now we're just doing a ton of extra work on guys that we're not that excited about. I, I just wonder if new people in charge, some teams that have probably felt stale, if they'll talk themselves into trading any of the players that that still have some value around the league, we can kind of go over some of the rumors and some of the team stuff like that. Will they actually want to trade into this lottery? I mean, I don't know. I don't know why they would, but it's it's a hard it's a hard group to really figure out like who who are the guys in the top ten you think can really help a franchise. And I don't know, man. KOC's top five. We have an awesome uh, ringer draft guide, nbadraft.theringer.com. KOC has Killian Hayes as his number one person. You compared him to D'Angelo Russell and Manu Ginobili, a dynamic left-handed shot maker from France who's 18. Raja, knowing nothing, just hearing that, does that excite you? I mean... <laughs> Dynamic French Manu Ginobili. I mean, you paired you paired like the two best guards in possibly in, in Spurs history. I mean, <laughs> uh, so you got that. 
uh, we have Anthony Edwards at the second spot. Um, Roger, you're not going to like this in the, in the minuses. Inconsistent effort. Mm. At times he plays hard by cutting, running up the floor and crashing the boards, but then he'll disappear. Mm. I don't, not at number. Mm. See, that, that's always that it, you knew that you, that's my trigger. The not, not consistent energy is a trigger for me. Raja and I see, we see this stuff very similarly. I think I, I am out on all inconsistent effort guys and all skinny guys. So I'm just out. I'm blind out. <laughs> That's from all the me, pickup games. I have to like either of those. Yeah. I'm just out. When it comes to effort, how do you assess that at the college level though? Cause the reason why I bring it up is because we just mentioned Ben Simmons earlier, a guy who was horrible at LSU has become a great defensive player. We're seeing in the playoffs right now, Gary Trent. A guy who right. at Duke was always ball watching, missed rotations, allowed backdoor cuts, and now he's a really good defender. So yeah. with these types of guys who don't put in effort in college or it's inconsistent effort, it's really hard to assess that for me. I just I'd miss on them because, like I agree with you one hundred percent. They're guys that that can that are exceptions to the rule. I just for me, like when I scouted, I told Bill this I don't know a week or so ago. Like I. Talent, I was always going to write a fair evaluation. So, like, if you're talented, there you can overcome a whole lot of stuff. Like, but I always have to note if you're low motor and you don't play hard, because I just think it, it it means something, especially when you're talking about like lottery, because that's a guy that you would hope turns into a one A. And to be a one A, I mean, you have to have a whole lot of motor. There, there's you're responsible for a, a, a franchise, you know. So, I, I just miss on a guy like that. It's not saying they can't get it figured out. Yeah. Let somebody you know, else take the risk, right? I don't know, man. I mean, you're basically saying that we should have an open mind about everybody that doesn't have any energy or doesn't put in effort. Like, that's great. But the thing about Ben Simmons is even though there was a lot of knock, that team was a mess. The coach was bad. They had four perimeter players situation. that all wanted to score. And he still pulled down like 11 rebounds a game in the SEC. So when you pull down that many boards and everybody's like knocking you, it's almost like a dad saying, like, who do you want your daughter to date? And it's like, well, we should rule out these guys that are head cases. And you're like, I don't know. You know, my my middle daughter married a guy who crashes car every every other week. And you know what? That worked out fine. So have an open <laughs> mind. <laughs> it's unbelievable analogy. Yeah, I think here's the real issue. We're evaluating these dudes and they're 18, 19, and 20. He took eight and threes a game and made 29% of them. That's the argument against Anthony Edwards. He took, a, he takes a million bad shots and they're all bad shots. Seriously. Like his shot selection, he thinks he's Steph Curry and he's, he's, I don't know, Trenton Hassel. I'll tell you no what, offense. I'll tell you what, he's not, he's not, he's not my cup of tea, but you know, I was telling my son, the lottery is tonight. My son plays NBA 2K and they have these galaxy Opal cards where all of these guys and a lot of the guys from the lottery in the, in the thing. So he's like, is Anthony Edwards going to be in it? He's awesome in 2k. And I'm like, yeah, cause they souped up all of his skills to 99 out of a hundred. Like in real life, <laughs> he might be out of He might be Anthony Bennett. Who knows? LaMelo ball at number three on KSC's list. This is the one. This is the one. Anybody who says, I know what's going to happen with LaMelo ball. They are lying to us and to themselves because it could go in 90 different directions. Raja, just from what you've heard peripherally, from a maturity, being able to handle it. What happens if he goes to a city and he's now the savior of, I don't know, Sacramento or whatever, uh, what, what's your gut tell you? I, I, I like him as a player, but I think emotionally there's, there's a lot there. There's a lot of stuff this, that he's dealt with, like just, you know, being on the peripheral of the stuff with Lonzo and, and his, and his brother and traversing the globe playing like, 
I don't know, man. Again, I don't, I don't good player, but I don't know that I'm trusting a franchise to be carried by him. That's just me personally, but I don't know him. I've done no homework on this draft. And, and quite frankly, I haven't even seen him play a lot. I heard he's kind of special talent with the ball. He's long, like he's a gifted guard, but there's a lot, there's a lot of baggage there. I'm sure, man, that's that, that there's a lot of stuff going on over there in that family. It was a we shit show. Out. It was a total shit show. He shows up. They let him do whatever he wanted. The team sucked. They went five and nine with him. He took a million threes. He made 25% of them. And I can't believe he didn't get jumped by the adults on that Australian <laughs> basketball team because it was so, it was gross to watch. Yeah. And I love the Australian basketball league and that New Zealand and these guys were like, Hey, let's bring over some of these high school kids with big names and get recognition. It worked for New Zealand with RJ Hampton. Uh, it feels a little temporary, but the RJ Hampton thing didn't exactly work out either. But for LaMelo, it's uh, look, he's six, seven, his handle, the pick and roll, the awareness, some of the stuff he does. It's really like, I can see a team going, I'm into it. But when you watch the Australian games, uh, it was just ugly. It was just ugly. And and wherever he goes, if that's the way he thinks he's going to play as a rookie a year or two out of high school, they're going to laugh at him. And uh, in Australia, like he didn't even, they, he just bounced after a little while anyway. And I'm sure the team was like, good, because I can't imagine being a guy that's been a vet in that league a long time, having to play with that, where you completely disrupt everything you're doing. He lacks, he lacks discipline for sure. And that's something that's because he's been allowed to play any way he wants to play since he was a kid. And But with LaMelo, it's the type of thing where this is the car, same types of conversations execs are having now with why they're not super high on these top three, four picks. All these flaws that we're rightfully talking about. But the people who love LaMelo, and I only kind of sort of like him, but the people who love him look at the fact that he is a dynamic ball handler who can create space, who can make passes that so few guys in the league even today can because of his height and his vision and his accuracy as a passer. And they're like, if that shot clicks, he's going to be hard to stop on the offensive end of the floor. He's going to be a dynamic weapon for you. So like, it depends so much with the draft this year about your philosophy or how much risk are you willing to take on with some of these guys who definitely have downside, whether it's Edwards or LaMelo Ball or James Wiseman, who we'll talk about later. No, it's, I want to talk about him now, actually. Okay, let's talk. Cause he dropped to seven on your list. And this was somebody heading into the season was the consensus. Number one, what happened with Wiseman? It's the type of thing where the lack of an outside jump shot, at least from what he's proven so far, he obviously has the measurables, uh, you know, set over seven foot, seven, six wingspan, two forty pounds, super strong, but he doesn't seem to have feel to me when it comes to reading the floor on defense. And on yeah. the offensive end of the floor, if the shot's not there, if the decision-making's not there, I feel like if I'm drafting a big man high in the draft, I need him to be a guy that I feel confident can be worth that second max contract when that comes up. Because Wiseman would be on that trajectory if you're taking him number one. You're making a big long-term investment. And for me, I'm kind of factoring in that second deal. Would I rather have take a risk on one of these guards or wings? Or do I want to take a risk with a center? So it's not as much a, de a, a knock on Wiseman exactly where I have him ranked. It's more so just my own philosophy when it comes to how I would want to build a team. So if, let's say Jackson Hayes, what did he go, 10th last year? 8th? 8th, 9th, 10th, somewhere in there? If he was in this draft this year, would he be ahead of James Wiseman? No. Okay. I don't think so. So this draft isn't like as big of a catastrophe as people are making it seem because as you said it's it's deep with solid guys who have a chance 
it's not a catastrophe because like, you know, guys that maybe we won't discuss tonight that could be good role players. Aaron Naismith from Vanderbilt, knockdown shooter who's really good on defense. Uh, there's risks that you might want to take later too. Um, this draft isn't weak on role players. It's just all the top guys have major, major question marks. I mean, Brian, if you ever got back to doing your NBA draft confidential, you'd have a lot of goodies this year about these top guys. I know it just That's took me ideas. hours to transcribe it to keep all my sources private. <laughs> so much. What about uh, no? I'm not done with Wiseman because he shouldn't be. Okay, seven. go. He can't. He can't look. I I get what you're saying, but he just can't be seventh in this draft. And I understand what you're saying about the second contract, but if he pulls a Mo Bamba on me, somebody else can pay him. He is too skilled as far as like the minimal version of him. His ability to run, he catches everything. There are some moments where you can see that it's not as fluid in the catch and processing exactly what he wants to do, where you'd like that to be a little bit more uh, instinctual. But it is an old, always that way. But like, I feel like there's a a five man rim to rim version of him that still should put him ahead of. I mean, when we start doing an Obi Toppin, I know Denny. A lot of teams do like him. Uh, Halliburton. I just see, can't see collectively having six guys or killing in ahead of, of Wiseman. I actually still would have him one here. Wow. And I do think that there's there's another version of him. I'm not sure if it exists where I think we don't have a lot to go on. I'm sure you watch him more in high school than I did. But there's there's some small forward skills that I think he wants to show you every now and then where he has a little bit of a handle, a little bit of touch. There's a turnaround that he has. He showed this jump hook. But in the three games he played, he played no one that could guard him, and he and he put on a pretty impressive show on just roll, catch, roll, and finish at the rim. But I, I just think with the uncertainty with the other guys at the top, I think seven is low. It I, might uh, be. It might be. And, and he is somebody that I want to learn more about because there's sort of like a bit of a, a Jalen Brown factor here where Jalen Brown at Cal was also a guy who didn't make good decisions, who was also slow to, to read what was happening on the floor. Yeah. yeah. And so with Wiseman, how much of that is that just him being a teenager? And then he's still trying so, to get, get things to catch up. Here's the other thing. Raja, I want your take on this. I think it's so easy to get guards. And we, we see over and over again, even this year, right? Like Trey Burke was bouncing around on the scrap heap and he's, you know, one of the key guys in game two Dallas clips or like Cameron Payne, who three teams gave up on. And all of a sudden he's coming off the bench for Phoenix. I do feel like you can always find the Jalen Brunson, whoever. Um, and then if they, if they end up being better than that, great. Um, what you can't find the two things are like the six, seven, six, eight wing three and D guy. And then the guy who could be the five and potentially protect the rim for you. I would much rather roll the dice with Wiseman and ho especially in this draft and hope he worked versus just taking a guard. Where do you stand on that Raja? Cause there's so many good guards. Like if, I, if I'm taking, let's say I take Halliburton, let's say he turns out he's pretty good. Well, there's still going to always be 10 to 12 point guards who are just, better than him, you know? And it's like, all right, so now I'm taking a guy that never has a chance to make an all NBA team. Whereas at least with Wiseman, there, there's a real value if it pans out. What do you think on that, Raja? Um, that's a good question. Cause I mean, in, initially I was going to say I would err on the side of taking a guard because so much of what you're doing is, is predicated on guard play now. Like they, yeah. you know, it, everything is spread out. And so having good guards, people who can make plays off the bounce, um are critical but that's that's provided i felt like really good about the guard and his trajectory so if you're telling me like i'm rolling the dice 
on one or the other. Like, I think guys have always kind of erred on the, the big, right? Just because you don't have a lot of six, 10 run and jump athletes walking around. Like you see a lot of guys, six, five, I saw him at Publix when I was at this grocery earlier today, you know, but you don't see the six, 10 guy walking through the door. So if he can, if he can run up and down the court and, and do some things, yeah, I'd probably err on the side of the big, just because, you know, to your point, guard position, if you have good ones already can be plug and play. Like your, your guys like me, you know, I, I was able to catch on and have a good career, but like, honestly, there are probably a lot of guys out there that could do what I did. You know, not a lot of six tens walking around. Well, I would err if I had to rank my air on the side of caution um, positions. I just think your your safest bet is probably the six six to six eight guy who can play multiple positions, and you just kind of hope. All right, they're going to have one sort of flaw, especially in this draft. It's like, is maybe they don't have a great motor, maybe they can't shoot yet, um, maybe they were playing out of position in college and they were, you know, in college they're playing as a four, but they're really a three, but it's, it seems like over and over again, teams have struck oil on, uh, on those guys. Rosillo, what, what would have to happen for you to take a point guard with like the fourth pick in the lottery? I'd have to love my coach and we'd have to all be on the same page. And I would have to say like, look, like the stuff KOC says about LaMelo that teams like, like it is very real. It's six, seven, maybe six, eight at some point, seeing over the top of people running high pick and roll with him and trying to trap him and having a passable shot. I mean, if that happens, he ends up being great. I'm just telling you, if you watch all the Australian games, it's disgusting. I mean, you, it's hard to make it through those. <laughs> you're really okay? scarred by those. You, you, you're, not a fan of, you're not a fan of his floaters from the elbow. <laughs> I'm not a fan of like four guys that look like all the want is a fosters in a white dart looking at him pull up from half court going are you serious what is what is this uh i would i would have to be i I would have to have like a great relationship with my coach to go how can we bring him along if if golden state ends up like say there's a version where golden state ends up at three and and say wiseman goes in the top two I, you know, again, I'm, I'm just talking out of my ass here because I, I would imagine Edwards or LaMelo or somebody, depending on how the order goes. But say like you know, Golden State's sitting at three and Wiseman and, and Toppin are gone. All right. It's yeah. just some weird version of this. And you have Edwards, LaMelo, Halliburton. I, I would, That's probably their worst case scenario, right? right. As they yeah. sketch this out, they're like, man, let's hope we're not a, in the a spot ball where dominant, there's just guards left. Yeah, ball dominant guard who doesn't make shots. So, you know, they you kind of had that think, already. Yeah, and you would think that that situation with Myers being so good and Kerr being so good is that maybe you're bringing this guy along slowly, but we're talking about the second part of the window here. So for certain teams, and then you worry about the bad teams where you go, are we giving the keys to the castle to this kid? And now we get a a Zach Levine situation where I think Zach has come along. He's become a better player. Oh, you don't like Zach. No, but if he's your one, you, you know, what are we doing? You know, like don't. Don't print the playoff tickets yet. No, we know what we know what we're doing. We're going to be in the lottery. <laughs> yeah, that's right. what we're doing. But we're going to be hoping like, for pickpock balls. To take one of these guards, I we'd have to like I would we would spend. My coach would be sick of me the amount of time I would t- be talking about like how can we get this? How can we set this kid up to succeed instead of letting him do everything and having bad habits versus not needing him at some point? So, KOC, who is the who's the most Raja Bell guy in this draft? Most Raja Bell guy, maybe Devin Vassell, uh, a wing oh, from Florida State. Oh, you have him in the State. top ten. Second year player. Uh, you have Vassell's him ranked fifth. Raja, this him. is huge for you. This is huge. One of the- <laughs> He's got compared to the <laughs> number five guy on his list. This is awesome. <laughs> Vassell's one of those guys that I would feel better about taking 
ahead of Wiseman just because of what he could bring to the floor for you as a versatile defender who just plays so freaking hard on that end of the floor. And on offense, great, great spot-up shooter who's shown some stuff on uh, off the dribble that he didn't show his freshman year. He got dramatically better as a shooter off the dribble, and, and that at least suggests there's a chance that he has some untapped upside off the dribble. So he's a high floor and maybe a, a higher ceiling than some people might expect. I have him third on my list because just from what you said, shades of Chris Middleton, Robert Covington, and Matisse Thybul. I'm in. That's all I need. Hmm. Um, one of the best defenders this year's class with a developing offensive game. Okay. So, like, that, to me, I looked at this list and I'm like, you know, we have to be focused here on Golden State. Golden State, this is the all-time ridiculous situation. They make five straight finals. They still have Curry and Clay and Draymond. They still have an awesome organization and a great Don't coach. forget Wiggins. Well, <laughs> we're going to get to Wiggins in a second because, you know, if if they were able to get this kid at like three or two or whatever, they still have the card of Wiggins with that Minnesota pick to try to trade for a veteran or potentially they could package this pick with that Minnesota pick next year, which is top three protected and Wiggins' contract. And now I'm in the Bradley Beal conversation. If we think that in the offseason, Bradley Beal's like, look, you need to trade me. I am leaving. He's not getting I, traded. You think no way? He's, he's not getting traded. Beal and Wall Why? are going to give it a chance together. And and that team is going to give it a chance as well. I'd be shocked if Beal got traded. I think summer. the team wants to give it a chance more than those two guys want to give it a chance. I they, agree they, with Rusilla. They, 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 they want to give it a chance. I've talked to both of them in recent months for stories that I've reported and like maybe they're BSing me, but I buy what I'm, what I'm hearing. I don't have a problem guys. with the team. They, they, I, I don't have a problem with give the team it. saying, let's see what we got here. One more chance with a healthy wall and Beal. I don't. I just, I don't know. They so want to give it more time. KOC, if Golden State got the third pick, you wouldn't trade Beal for Wiggins, the third pick in that Minnesota oh, pick next year. We just year. talked about how shitty. So, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Some of how <laughs> bad some of these top prospects are. No, I okay. would not do that if I'm the Wizards. Uh, Bradley Beal is only 26 years old and he's turned into a All NBA caliber player. I want to keep that guy. That's a guy I want to build around. He's I only actually a couple agree years with KOC on this. I, if I was the GM, I would be the I'm going down in flames with this guy. And if he yeah. leaves me at the altar, I'm getting fired anyway. But I'll definitely get fired if I trade him for 50 cents of the dollar. So now if Ben Simmons is on the table, I think that's a different conversation. That's why I wish this draft were better. I wish Golden State got the number one pick and that there was a <laughs> maybe a Carl Anthony Towns type at one. Ooh. And you go, mm. all right, contract. Because the thing is, you can't do Draymond to Philly. Um, but having Ben Simmons would mess up Draymond, but I just, I wish I could see, remember how forever and Roger remembers this every time there was some guy that we'd want to see leave the team. We spent five years going, I'd love to see him on Phoenix. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> it was just every time I, I feel like there's these bigs. I just want to see run with uh, golden state and whatever version we see of them coming up. Roger, when, what, what year did the trade stuff start? with that team. That was the the year you made the Shaq Marion trade. That was when you guys were in the hole. Yep. What are they going to do? Who's going? What, blah, that, do you remember being hyper aware that that was a conversation with all basketball people? Um, no, I, what I do remember is right before that domino fell, I, I was sitting with Leandro Barbosa pregame watching a telecast of a, of a heat game and they panned a Shaq up in the stands and, and LB said, 
like you know in his brazilian accent like who 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 trades for him now man and i was like lb i could not tell you who would trade for shaq at this point i don't know what they'd have to give up Robert Sarver. i don't know who it, and like two weeks later <laughs> shaq was there and then that you know like we we talked about that was the domino but i listen we also had this conversation logan and i about and it goes into tampering a little bit um everyone wanted to play in phoenix at that time like i when I was in Utah, halfway through that season, I was letting people know, look, I want, I want to play in Phoenix. If I, if I can play in Phoenix, I'd like to play there. So I, I wasn't really acutely aware of it, but I, I mean, the, the trade rumors, but I knew everyone wanted to play there because it was just the style that, that, you know, it was like pickup. Do you think Houston has that now? Um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have that now, right? Like a lot of people play more of a wide open style, so I don't think it's unique to Houston. Um, but yeah. I do, I do think a lot of guys could see themselves if they're really, you know, gifted on the ball or like me. It, Houston would appeal to me a lot now because I know I could just sit in the corner and shoot threes, right? So if yeah, you either loved it, I'd love you it. You should right? come back. Yeah. No. If you if you <laughs> come back, Mike you gotta stay with the ringer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think part of the Phoenix thing was just this magical training staff we always heard of when they when they fixed Grand Hill. It was like the it was like the greatest achievement of the two thousands. Yeah. That, him, guy, that guy was done. He did, he'd lost like three years to injuries. And then all of a sudden he was, you know, reinventing himself as kind of pip and light for a couple of years there. But yeah, that was, I wonder what other teams are like that. KOC, what other teams are like that, that the players in the league are like, Oh man, I want to be on that team. I think it's like Raja said, a lot of teams are playing that style now. There's just a lot of lot of ball movement, a lot just of funny to pace. say Boston. I set you up just to say Boston. <laughs> I gave you the bait. There you go, you Bill. ignored me. You can bring yeah. it up. <laughs> All right. So here's what we the have Knicks for the probably. Uh, the lottery odds, because this Milwaukee game's about to end. So Golden State's in the pole position. The lowest Golden State can go is five. They have a 48% chance of being fifth. Uh Cleveland is second. We should probably talk about them for a second. What the hell do you do if you're Cleveland? What do you need? You need everything and nothing. You have guards. You have, you have uh, the the weird drum and love backcourt, which I or frontcourt, which I guess they're gonna keep maybe. But like, what what would you do if if they asked you, hey Raja, what do I do with Cleveland? Oh man, I figure out how you want to play, like. Because the way you're setting it up looks like you're throwing it back to like '96, and I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know that that's gonna gonna work in the NBA. I, I just there where Phoenix was for me three years ago, where Kobe's my guy, but like, what are you doing? What's the what's the end game here? Do we have a blueprint? Like, can you tell me what the vision is and and how you're gonna get me there? And I don't know because there's what is in the draft that's going to help them. Like you just named and we talked about a bunch of guys that, I mean, I right. don't think that they really help figures. Cleveland. Right. What would you do, Rosillo? Uh, well, first of all, I wouldn't make any positional mistakes in the draft. I wouldn't go, well, I can't take a guard because I really like uh, Sexton and Garland. You know, I, I think it's too early to write off Garland, uh, who I did like a lot because of his, you know, we had a very limited, I think, four-game sample of him at Vandy. But as far as his kind of in-out 
start, stop, dribble, and then the three-point shooting numbers, I thought there was something there. And I kind of go, well, look, I think most of these backcourts now, you're better off with two scores, especially if one guy's small because they trap him. Hey, just kick it to somebody else. You can see the times when you really extend and try to trap Lillard. And it's like, okay, well, now McCollum's going four on three. So is that a great situation? Um, I don't think you have to worry about playoff stuff like that right now if you're Cleveland. But, you know, love is... $28.9 million two years from now. That contract was stupid. That contract was, hey, we're mad that LeBron left, and now we're going to buy into one of our guys and look at our positive headlines, and it was, it was, it was stupid. Um, I would, he wants I, to stay. It's like, yeah, he wants to stay because you're right. overpaying him. Drummond is a $28.75 uh, million dollar option. I mean, you, you got to be kidding me. And he can't. He has a hard time staying on the floor in today's game. So... <laughs> I don't I think I would I would also tell you that Cleveland's probably one of the more owner influenced teams as far as some of the stuff that they do. Uh, most of these owners call the shots more than I think a lot of us even realize and it's always good to remind ourselves of it. But they have terrible contracts across the board. I mean, Larry Nance Jr., do you guys remember him? He still owed another twenty something million the next two years. That was so tough. uh Yeah, you know, that's they, a that's another type of contract where you get in trouble where you're paying like the Larry Nance Jr. type. I think Larry Nance is pretty it's good. Like, Nance is pretty good this year in Cleveland. Improved his three point shooter. A year? He's pretty solid individually. His defense played some three for them with all their bigs. You know, what? I, I like, like this. Larry. I like, I like the correction Nance. on Larry. Nance I like it too. On, I like that. So that's that's good input. I like from... the Larry Nance defense. Uh, they just the lottery started and they just showed the board. It looks like Golden State played the Steph Curry card for uh, <laughs> for the. Uh, Brad Dory's wearing his tux from the 86 draft. <laughs> um, Minnesota is going to be the third team with the, with the most ping pong balls. Um, to me, it's a little more clear what they need, right? They just need whoever the best wing is. I, I, I mean, or a point guard, like I, they kind of can't lose in this draft. There's multiple guys that would probably play for them. I would assume, right? KLC. Yeah, I think Minnesota right here, they they win either, either direction they go. You can pair another guard with D'Angelo Russell if you want to. He can play off the ball, or he can be the guy handling it for you. So whether it's, say, Lamelo or Anthony Edwards or whoever it might be up top, you can feel good about that potential fit there. Or maybe you can pair a big with Towns, considering he's such a potent three-point shooter. So for Minnesota, I mean, regardless of what position they go here or what the philosophy is, if they nail this, Suddenly, they have a pretty appealing young big three with Russell Cat and whoever the pick might be. Yeah, I don't. That's a tough one because I don't know what they do with that Sexton Garland thing. And you get in a situation where you're like, "Well, we can't take another guard. We have these two guys, but maybe the guy who's on the board is actually better than either of the guys they have." Uh, Atlanta is four. Atlanta's. I, I was surprised they were this high because I. I I think I had the impression in my head that uh, things were going a little bit better for them, maybe, um, than that record. But, you know, they at least had the foundation. The Luka trade is a generational disaster they'll never recover from. But the pandemic was good for them nationally, is what you're telling us. <laughs> well, it, I, it did it did move the uh, Luka focus off. But uh, what would you do for them, Raja? You're Atlanta. What do you need? Uh, I need some vets in there. I need, I need to get some good, solid guys that can help that young core like understand not unlike what we talked about in Philadelphia with all that losing, like we need some people in the building that know what it's like to win that have been in the foxholes and the battles. And so uh, honestly, I don't know what in the draft is, is really going to help me further 
um, you know, Atlanta's winning percentage next year, you're going to be like retreading the same path you were on this year, which was we're too young to win. So I don't know what it looks like for them package and stuff to figure out how to go out and get a substantial vet, like someone who could help. But I would be looking to do that if I was Atlanta. Enough with the accumulation of really young talent. Let's try to start winning. Like, let me get somebody in here who can help with that now. Yeah, I was wondering, because it seems like Buddy Heald is a guy, and that, you know, he's not super young, but he's still in his mid-20s at this point. But Buddy Heald seems like a guy who's probably going to be available um, in the offseason. And I was wondering, like, if I'm Atlanta, I think I want more shooting. I want to be like the, we're the crazy shooting team. And he seemed like somebody, but I, I don't know, like, what is Buddy Heels value KOC compared to a top five pick in this draft? Probably a bit lower because of the fact that he's going to be getting paid, you know, around $20 million right. and, you know, don't have as much long-term security. But with Buddy Heels, that would be a really, really intriguing fit next to Trey Young. Uh, right. I, with their shooting ability, they're, I mean, Buddy can do a little bit on the ball with you too. I feel like with Atlanta, you know, the idea of bringing in veterans, I think is smart for them because Trey Young has already become the level of player where he's ready to win, you know, individually as a player. And normally when it comes to team building, you don't want to do anything short-sighted or stupid that hurts you long-term. But with Atlanta or even, you know, Dallas with Luka or some of these young teams, I feel like it's like in the NFL with a good young quarterback. You want to take advantage of that when they're on their rookie deal and try right. to add as much talent as you can before they come up with their next deal and you don't have as much flexibility. And with Trey, I mean, the level of player he is, even though you said it's a disastrous deal for them to get rid of Luka, I mean, that yeah. very well may be the case considering Luka legend, you know, is on that track. Uh, but Trey's a great player himself too in his own right. It's, that's, it's a tough, it's perpetually a tough one for them for as long as Luka is playing professional basketball. Let's take a break to talk about FanDuel Sportsbook, where they have an amazing NBA playoffs offer for all new customers, plus 2,000. That's 20 to 1 odds on any team in the playoffs to make the NBA Finals. Doesn't matter if it's the Bucks, Lakers, Nets, Mavericks. 20 to 1 on everyone. They don't even have to win. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started. Be sure to sign up with promo code BS so they know I sent you. And as I mentioned earlier, we have the Ultimate Hoops Ringer contest with them. It is running. People love it. There's a FanDuel contest every single day. There are playoff games, $5 entry fee per contest. And if you win that day's contest, you get a ticket to the leaderboard series during the NBA finals where all the winners will compete for a share of 50K cash, ringer swag, and to be deemed the sole survivor of the ultimate hoops ringer. Learn more and enter at FanDuel.com slash hoops ringer. Age and location restrictions apply. Must be 21 plus present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Colorado, West Virginia, Indiana. New users only must wager on designated boost market. Max bonus $200. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Colorado, 1-800-522-4700. West Virginia, 1800gambler.net. Indiana, 800-9-WITH-IT. Back to the lottery show. Rosillo, would you rather have the fourth pick in this draft or Buddy Heald? I'll take Buddy. I mean, you got to pay somebody anyway. Um, and and I, I get the point of uh, how much it can mess you up. But, I, you know, look, man, I I like the transactions where it's it's not about hope sometimes. And if it's a player I like, I go, okay, who cares about waiting on cap space? Are you telling me I can trade for this guy who I kind of like? And he may not be as good as, as closing my eyes and swinging as hard as I can. And, you know, if it were a different draft, I, I think it would be 
it would be probably a different answer. You know, if there was four or five guys I liked in this. And really, the reason why this draft is so frustrating is that you plan for years to land somewhere where you get your chance at a star. I mean, that's the whole job. Can you find a way to get your hands on one of these stars? And that's why you'll see people draft certain times. They go, yeah, we knew this was way bigger risk, but we were due to try to do this. The same time when Milwaukee was like, yeah, we weren't really sure about Giannis. We go, is he the best guy of, of the group now that's still star potential? It's what Denver did with Michael Porter Jr. And it's certainly working for Milwaukee. It may not work to the same level for Denver. And it doesn't feel like you have any of those options here. So if you're giving me somebody like Buddy who can shoot and space the floor, but uh, – and I think the biggest thing for Atlanta is as good as Trey has become as an offensive player, he's got to be better than the worst defensive player in the league if he's going to play this many minutes. And I don't know how you hide it other than hoping you have, what, a nice two-way player? Like, do you think Buddy's good enough defensively to make up for all the stuff? Or, I mean, maybe, Raja, you could speak to this, just how often you guys search out those switches to try to abuse somebody. You don't do it every single play. But is there a way to hide Trey enough to start winning some more games defensively? Um, not at, not if you have another guard. You need to pair him with the defense. Like they did it with Allen Iverson a lot. Like they paired him with a defensive two. Yeah, Eric Snow. Like, stuff, Eric, yeah, right? or a, a, a defensive one. Right. Like they were looking. Like Derek Snow. Yeah. So you're looking for you're looking for that. I, I look, Buddy Heald. Um, I don't want to take anything away from his defense. I, I, he's serviceable, but I don't know if he's good yeah. enough. To I think really that's the right answer. Mask. Yeah. What Trey's doing. Um, I like. I think Buddy Hill fits with them offensively. I I have concerns and like, I would say Allen Iverson because I almost feel like the way Trey Young plays, you kind of have to really commit. Like that's the way you're playing. Like he's got to have the ball in his hands and it's got to be high pick and roll. Like you got to play like that. So you got to build to play like that because that's what you're that's what you've decided you're going to do right and maybe you know to be fair to cam reddish and and to hunter and you know I, we probably i think we'd all sit here and agree that it's still a very to be nice like i don't know um but you got to give them more than a year to see if somebody one of these guys develops into somebody that can maybe guard some smaller players because there's certainly you would think with the way uh, Hunter was at Virginia and the athleticism of Reddish that there's at least something to build on there, even if, you know, as rookies, it was very inconsistent, but run by a second year player. Mm -hmm. and with with Trey, I hope he's willing to sacrifice and share the ball more often, because if he does, that opens up what they can do on the offensive end. Trey Young this year only shot 103 three pointers off the catch and hit 47 percent of them. I mean, he is Jesus. a knockdown shooter off the catch. The things you could do with him off handoffs and screens. It's pretty exciting. If he's willing to sacrifice, but that's the big question. A lot of guys don't want to. He so doesn't want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got Golden State, Cleveland, Minnesota, Atlanta. Detroit has the fifth most ping pong balls. I don't think we need to even have a Detroit conversation. Talk to a the front Knicks. office guy. I was going over the lottery real quick, and he, he was like worst roster in the league. Oh, it's brutal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, by <laughs> far, if you're if you're the GM of that team, you're just looking in a mirror, going, "What did I do to myself?" Knicks at six. New uh, new administration for them. I I don't. I guess if you were ranking their best assets, their assistant I, coach. I guess Barrett's first, <laughs> but they don't really have the moves. Like if they want to make a big splash and be like, oh, Embiid might be on the table. Here's a bunch of stuff. They don't even really have the bunch of stuff. So God only knows with them. I just want to talk about Chicago really quickly. They're they're seventh in this mix. They just had a coaching train wreck. There was some good stuff written about that this week. I don't think they were run particularly well. And by particularly well, I mean they were run fucking terribly. And 
I like some of their pieces. Like, I like Carter. I like marketing. I think marketing was in a worst case scenario. I, if I was a GM, I would be trying to cherry pick him right now because I, I don't, I think there's a whole different world in which that guy's like really an asset. If he's playing on the right team, um, Raj, if you, if you had the Chicago GM job, are you keeping the team you have? Or are you blowing it up a little bit? I'm keeping the team I have, um, for now. I, I need, so Ryan, Ryan was talking about having like real frank conversations with your coach. Like we got to get in a room and really hash this out, right? Like what stylistically, how are we going to play? What are your, what are your plans for Lori Markin? And what are your plans for Carter? How are you going to use Zach Levine? So he's not just going like crazy and, and shooting us, you know, while he's scoring 27 a game, but we're, we're shot out of everything. Like, what are we going to yeah. do there? And if, if any piece doesn't fit with his vision, like I wouldn't be afraid to move something. Um, but I don't think I'd move off of it just to move off of it. Like I'd, I'd, I'd want to give that a year with some stability just to see what I actually had. Rusilla, would you try to cherry pick Carter or marketing? Who do you like more? I love your marketing call. Best thing you've said in an hour. Thanks. Uh, Stepping it up as no, we get closer lottery. Yeah, no, you do warm up as closer we get to the ball, but I do. I take a while. I need a lot I, of foreplay. I, uh, I think marketing had some moments before the injuries and then, you know, it's, it's, it's tough on these young rosters where you go, Hey, we're rebuilding. Okay. Everybody's young. And it's like, okay, cool. One through 12 is all first, second or third year players. And the third guys are pissed off at the first year guys. Cause they're taking their minutes and they think they're due for a contract that they probably don't deserve because if we've been this bad and we're still rebuilding, like what do we actually have? But I thought marketing had moments where you go, Whoa, this might be the part of the Jimmy Butler trade where it completely works out. And you know, Kobe white had moments last year and I would just move on from Zach Levine. Marketing's one of those guys. He's going to end up on like Dallas. So, you know, some good team that'll be like, Oh, we figured out all the ways to use him and all the long white like, wow, Euro marketing. Dallas. Awesome. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> KOC, what do you think? Who would you pick? Uh, I mean, with marketing and Carter for that team, they're keepers to me for now, at least see how me you too. can work that out. Marketing can do more off the dribble than he was able to show under Boylan and Carter, you know, with the injuries he had over his first two seasons, I, I don't feel like he's gotten a fair opportunity to do what he can do or what he, he hasn't been able to show what he can be on defense either for that matter as a real anchor and with some versatility. I think that's such a good job. I was really jealous of the dude with a lot of letters in both of his names. Arturis. His name? Arturis. How do you say his last name? He's the K man. The K man. I was jealous of that dude because you have a great fan base that, um, you know, has a lot of good memories. And even up until a few years ago had teams and players that they really liked. You're in a huge market. You have money to spend. Allegedly, who knows if the owners can actually spend it, but, um, you know, the pieces are there. You're in the third biggest city in America. Um, Raja compare and contrast Reinsdorf and, uh, Robert Sarver. <laughs> I've got no experience with Reinsdorf. I, I like if I started with my Robert Starver. I almost told a Robert Starver story um, the, the other day. It's an interaction with my wife after she had a a, a, a DNC. Like she it was our first pregnancy. Like I had to leave the All Star weekend to like come home and check on her. And like I'm not gonna repeat like kind of what he said to her, but it was just one of those things where you're like. You know, if you can't if you can't figure out something to say in a situation like that, that's just like, hey, you know, sorry to hear about it. Keep it moving. 
you if you can offend her in that situation, like you, oh, man. you probably don't have a great touch. It's, it doesn't seem like it's getting better with him. Yeah, Even I, though, despite the team, you know, I, I've never seen anybody celebrate 8-0 in the bubble that ultimately led to nothing. But they had reason to celebrate because it was the first time they felt like, oh, man, we actually might have the foundation of something. Oh, the lottery is about to happen. As as we watch these uh, these first few, oh, the Celtics from the Memphis Grizzlies. So there you go. The Celtics are going to have the 14th pick back-to-back years of... Uh, thinking they were going to get a top five pick from Sacramento or Memphis. And they turned out to be what KFC 14 and 14. Yeah. That's Not great, it. Bob. Um, before we get to the rest of the lottery, no one expected me to do this. If 2020 taught us anything, it's that things don't always go as planned with state farm. You can be ready for the unplanned moments in your life. Like life. The NBA draft is filled of surprises and unexpected Moments. Roger Bell, not even drafted, right? Not even drafted. No, that was, was that expected or unexpected? Uh, it was expected that there was a okay. chance I went to Atlanta with their last pick, but it was expected. Well, there's a lot of unexpected moments too. I was doing the draft when Anthony Bennett got taken. I almost had a seizure <laughs> on air. Um, with state farm, you get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected events in your life and savings with surprisingly great rates. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor state farm is there. All right, so we went Celtics. It's all chalk so far. All chalk. Celtics, um, New Orleans, Sacramento, Spurs, Phoenix Suns. Oh, that, so everything's chalk. Wait, somebody jumped the Knicks. No, yep, Charlotte jumped the Knicks. So the Knicks Charlotte actually, jumped the Knicks. The Knicks ended up eighth. Uh, yeah, they ended up eighth, and they were they were sixth. Wait, two teams jumped because Detroit was fifth. So did Washington jump? No, no, Washington's no, no, no. nine. You did this last year and it just turned into a train wreck. I did. I'm sorry. No, I don't Detroit's... have the TV on in this room, so I can't see it at the moment. Now, Charlotte seven, Atlanta six. Charlotte and Chicago jumped. Oh, wow. Cleveland five. Wow. Jamie so, Gertz. So, Chicago, that's, I kind of like their team. I like, if they could get the top three, which they just did, that's pretty good. So, we have, it looks like, it looks like it's Golden State, Chicago, and... And Charlotte. And Charlotte, yeah. So you think this was the last payment for the last dance? <laughs> you do the doc. Here's a check for 10 mil. And you get into the number one pick in the draft. Curry's rocking like... Uh, he's got a Shamar I, Moore SWAT look going on. He looks I really great. like it. Yeah, he looks awesome. He looks like he's going to be in an action movie. Oh, it's the top four picks revealed. So, Golden State, Cleveland. Oh, no, Chicago, Golden State, Charlotte. Minnesota, Chicago? No, no, yeah, Cleveland. Golden State, Minnesota, Charlotte, Chicago. Those right. are the top four. That's a fun top four. Mm. So, that means Cleveland falls to five, Atlanta falls to six, Detroit to seven, New York to eight, and then the rest is Chuck. Yeah, so New York still only had the six best odds to get to number one. But it's just, you know, it's just unbelievable before the lottery last year. You're like, all right, Kyrie, Durant, and Zion, how will they fit in a Knicks team? Jeez. <laughs> like, or, or. <laughs> KOC, quickly, who's, who, uh, Chicago is the most interesting team in the top four to me. Who would be the most fun guy for them to get? Um, 
I think it's like we talked about earlier with Cleveland. Depends on how you want to play, but it's got to be LaMelo if you're talking fun. Straight up fun, it's LaMelo. So you'd put LaMelo and Kobe White together. <laughs> I, I'm not saying it's a winning combination. <laughs> it's a fun combination. <laughs> you know what winning, wouldn't I mean, work, I, though, I, is Zach Levine and LaMelo. <laughs> might, that might be the only way that you could break LaMelo in where you'd go, hey, you see all the stuff you do? Right. That's how, as annoyed as you are when you watch Zach do stuff. That's how <laughs> the rest of the team feels about you, your rookie year. So what you're if, doing is I, lo- I learned it by watching like, you, Dad. It's like galaxy brain team building right here. There you go. So those two together could be the only thing that gets Rosillo through another year of the pandemic. <laughs> being being able to criticize LaMelo and Zach Levine as a backcourt. <laughs> but that would send you into an absolute frenzy. Maybe some of the worst shot selection of all time. LaMelo and Trey Young would be fun too. Zach they'd did probably fight to the death. Zach did get better than his. He did his. The the ones that really bothered me were those T Wolves pull ups from thirty feet with twenty one seconds left on the shot clock. Those those are the ones. Kind of like when Marcus Smart feels like, all right, time to get this team out of it. Marcus had some tough ones these first two games. Yes, he has. It reminded me again, but he's he's been better with it. So. You know, it's you funny. You want to, you want to enable him. You want him to be full Marcus Smart at all times. You want him to. You know, you know what it is. Always embrace his inner Marcus Smart. But it, at the same like time, the amount of times, and I'm sure Raja can speak to this. You would waste a post possession on a big who couldn't finish just to make him feel good about all the screens yeah. he was going to set the rest of the night. That's what you do with Marcus. You let him take those three or four. I just don't like it when it's with less than two minutes left in a close game. That's all. I'm with Bill though. You got and you know who was great with that, Mike D'Antoni. It, he, he was not going to tell you bad shot. He just wasn't going to do it because he ever. was like, you, you ever, because you just have to be free to be you, right? Like whether your value is on the defensive end or rebounding or even scoring, like going to let you shoot, bud, because I want you to feel good about that. Yeah, when Stevens expresses uh, mild upsetness at a Marcus three, you know it was like an absolute travesty of a three because <laughs> I think he subscribes to that theory. He wants yeah. Marcus to to cook and do his thing. Um, KOC most fun team to win the lottery right now. Golden state, not even close golden state for all the reasons we talked about earlier with the fact they're already going to be back in championship contention with all the things that they could do with trade potential there, or just taking a young guy and having turning him into something special and having him on a rookie deal with Steph and clay and Draymond and, and Wiggins. It's Golden State if you're picking the funnest team for the number one cool. pick and most intriguing from a, a competition standpoint in the West. Question for the group. Was Charlotte too good where you don't want to take a rookie to upset what they could build on from last year? <laughs> yeah, do you, you don't want to infringe on, uh, on Graham. Uh, they were fun. They, they competed like crazy, and I thought that team had a chance to win like 12 games. <laughs> I, some, I like some of the guys in that team. I do too. They, they look. Borrego got that Who? team. We had him on the pod. PJ Washington. She, yeah, yeah. But I mean, Graham. Graham was supposed to take a back seat to Rogier, and and Graham, I thought, mm-hmm. was kind of the guy for them. And you know, even Graham's though Bridges nice. probably isn't as good as maybe we thought when we first saw him at Michigan State, I still like his attitude. All right, so Golden State, Minnesota, Chicago, Charlotte. Oh, if Chicago Char- got four. That's still nice, though. So they moved up uh, four spots. Charlotte third. Wow. Holy shit. Golden State's going to win the lottery. This is unbelievable. Thank (laughs) God we don't have an actual awesome superstar. Golden State second. Minnesota. You know what this smells like. So Minnesota's number one. You know what this smells like to me? 
Little what? present, little present for the new owner that's about to take over Minnesota. Hey, throw in Conspiracy. a couple hundred extra million. Here's here's your present. We're getting you the number one pick. <laughs> Conspiracy. D'Angelo's sitting here celebrating. You're like, yeah, but you're going to be playing off the ball with Lamelo. Are you excited about that? <laughs> <laughs> KOC Minnesota on the clock. Who's your prediction? Uh, James Wiseman go two bigs filled with some skill. You like that, Raja? Yeah, I'm with that. I like it. Yeah, like Priscilla? I, you like the way you like the Wiseman Towns Twin Towers. Mm. Priscilla can't talk himself into it. No, and I'm, I'm the one who has. I think I have Wiseman one. I still like to do a little bit more work on everybody. Um, that's kind of funny. I get on KOC's case for having him seventh, and now Minnesota wins the lottery. <laughs> you're like, no, what? No, 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 not sure you want no. it. I, I wouldn't rule out Edwards because I think Edwards yeah. is going to blow people away with his body. His on Zoom, he, whatever, yeah, on Zoom with a filter. He's an incredible Zoom guy yeah. so far. <laughs> kind of like Andrew Wiggins did. He's a big womb. Uh, anyway, Zoom guy. Uh, could could Russell and uh, Edwards? Is that a matchup that makes sense to you guys? Raja's in. Raja's like bullish right now. No, I think that's better. I think it's better than Lamelo and 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 Russell for sure. If Edwards starts defending and he can actually hit shots, then that could be a great combination. Edwards is probably the ideal if you're talking about what he can be in a best case scenario with his body. He's, he's going to already get an NBA ready body, um, but he doesn't have an NBA ready you know brain on the defensive end or as a shooter with his shot selection either. But Edwards, ideally, but I, I do wonder if maybe they zig when everybody's zagging and go with two bigs with Cat and Wiseman. That's really intriguing to me. And Charlotte's at three. And they have Terry Rozier for 20 million a year. They have Graham, who was a most improved candidate of the year, dude. Um, they kind of need everything and nothing. It's one of those teams. I'm not even going to predict what they're going to do, but Chicago at four there. I mean, according to your draft guide, it would seem like you just kind of want to be in the top five and then all oh, hell might break loose after. But even if they got Vassal, for Chicago, that would be a good one for them. I would see. I wonder if Golden State just takes him. That's like exactly what they need. They need a wing guy who's can play thirty minutes a game, guard people, um, not expensive. It seems it just seems like a Golden State pick. It, it's going to be fascinating because now that we actually know the order. I mean, you talk to people who have Vassell ranked sixteenth or seventeenth. You talk to people who have him ranked fifth. So that's true for Wiseman, LaMelo. Rankings are everywhere all over the place. So like we, we're talking about like Wiseman, Edwards, and Ball as the likely guys for the top three. But I do wonder if maybe one of those guys or two of them end up possibly falling and we get some surprises in the top three of the guys we're really not focusing on here, especially a team like Golden State who might be more, more likely to draft for need, to your point. Yeah, you know, any... The Wiseman, the Wiseman thought that Minnesota, I mean, because you can't, I don't know if Culver plays into the equation here, and then they think like, okay, is, is Culver and Russell a great fit? Probably not. I mean, I, you know, whatever, man. You're, it's about putting as many scores out there as you possibly can. So if they feel like, hey, Edwards fits in this, and there's our, that's our small forward, small guard, point guard, then we go with that. But would Wiseman make more sense because they don't have to commit to him as much offensively? I mean, it's going to come down to just like, hey, I like this guy better than that guy. I'm not going to get too worked up about it. But if Wiseman were to go one, 
I, I think that really kind of impacts what Golden State's going to do. But I don't know what the trade market is going to be like. I don't know if Philadelphia, I would imagine they're going to try it again with a coach. I, I, I don't know what the Pacers are going to look like next year. You, know, you hear some rumors about Sabonis wanting out. Um, I think the Atlanta Hawks would probably move some of the younger pieces around, as Roger was talking about, for some depth or maybe some veteran guys. Uh, but, you know, Golden State might get stuck with with a guard if Wiseman goes one when well if, if KOC is right on killing Hayes that's a good consolation prize for them but I still think I think they go for Vassell because of uh because of just I know how they Curse talked about it on my podcast like he's envious of the teams like the Celtics that just have multiple wings the ability to switch and like he's pretty open like we think that's where basketball is going so my guess would be they would have somebody that could play into that over could could we see okay. a trade down? You know, we've seen three consecutive years of the trade downs of the top five picks, Fultz for Tatum, Luca for Trey Young, then the DeAndre Hunter for multiple firsts last year. I feel like this is another year, especially if you're talking about one with Minnesota or two with Golden State, that I look at those teams and maybe I'm like, oh, you know, Chicago, you want to trade up here? Cleveland, you want to get Wiseman? Let's make a deal. I feel well, like the some other of those teams that fell could use the one. Minnesota's got top three protected pick next year. It goes to Golden State. We've seen this because the Celtics were in this situation two years in a row where the team that knows they're probably losing their pick, they kind of go all in and they'll make a couple moves to try to get in the middle of the pack. So maybe that is something they would do. You try to trade down, pick up another asset, take a salary. I think they have cap space this year. And it's next year's drafts, like that, the eighth pick could be better than the first pick this year. It's that type of draft next year. Hmm. Um, Raja. It, we, sh we should, by the way, just mention Avdia here because I just don't think we've talked about him enough. Um, some, teams, some teams just like him uh, enough to have him in the conversation with this top group. And at 6'9", I, I got to tell you, like he's, it's not Luka-ish because I actually think he has a bit of a quicker first step. But you know how like Luka drives and he just keeps driving on everybody the whole night and you're like, all right, I guess it kind of works. Like I think Denny has that same kind of thing and he might end up being bigger. The shooting numbers weren't great. Uh, you'd like those to be a little bit better, but I think there's there's a physical part of his game. The drives are consistent. I've seen him post and then kind of get shut off, kick it out, and then get deeper and repost. And I was like, oh my God, like this is 30-year-old shit. And he's he's reposting after a kick out and getting better position and ceiling. Um, I, ju I just feel like he's at least worth mentioning with some of these other names because I think there's a high end for him, KOC, where we could see him going at least higher than we've mentioned, at least tonight. Uh, I'm with you 100%. Avdia, you know, only 19 years old with his versatility on the offensive end. He can run a little bit of offense for you. He's so smart off ball on defense. He always seems to be in the passing lanes. He's a smart player. I mean, he checks a lot of those boxes that Raja was saying that he likes to see in prospects and young players that you want to have. The question with Avdia is the fact that he shot low 30% throughout yeah. his career overseas, around 50% from the free throw line, and his shot looks good. It seems like he has good touch around the rim on layups and floaters, but for some reason, the shot just hasn't developed from the perimeter or from the line, and, and that's the big question for me. I mean, can he answer that question for teams ahead of the draft? Because if that shot's ends up developing for him, I mean, there's no doubt he can end up becoming the best player in the drafts. Yeah, you just described, like, the Golden State like, draft need until you went to the no shooting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or there could be a teacher about to shoot. Raja, I'm going to leave you with this. No. K KOC has this guy ranked 15th 
I'm just going to give you some information. You have to decide in or out right now. This is a fun game. He's from Serbia. Okay. Alexei Pukasevsky. Um, KOC writes, a lanky seven-footer who moves like a wing, passes like a guard, needs to grow into his thin frame to thrive in the NBA. Shades of Detlef Shrimp, Lamar Adam, Dragon Bender. I'm Bender. just going to give you in. these. I'm going to give you these stats. Seven feet tall, 201 pounds. Out. <laughs> Long. I'm out. Long seven three wingspan. Seven three wingspan. Come on. Seven three wingspan. Hey, listen. We were, Chris Bird and I were texting KOC. I'm like, KOC, what are you doing? Skinny guys. No, <laughs> never. Get this guy out of your top 15. Seven it's, feet 201. That's light. That's light. Well, I mean, I look, I've never seen him. So I, I like all jokes aside, the, the, the NBA, you're talking length and versatility, right? Like that's what we're talking about now. So if he if he's skilled and he can play, but if you're seven foot, 201 pounds, I, I don't know how much more weight you're putting on. It just sounds like you're really, really thin. He is lean. So, that's, that's for damn sure. KOC isn't old enough to remember Brad Sellers and the Bulls. I sent him a, a card of Brad Sellers, but that's, to me, that was when I was just out on the skinny seven footers. Like, oh, these guys are out of my life. Um, hey, this was fun. Thanks to State Farm. Thanks to uh, Raja Bell. Thanks to Kevin O'Connor. Thanks to Rosillo. You can hear Raja on Mondays on Ringer NBA Show with uh, Logan Murdoch. You can hear KOC on Tuesdays and Thursday nights on Ringer NBA Show. And Rosillo will be doing our thing on uh, on Sunday night. We'll be, it could be a What the Hell is Wrong with the Lakers podcast. Who knows? Uh, see you guys soon. Thank you. All right, we're bringing Nora Princiati on in one second. First, wanted to mention the rewatchables we put up to this week. Caddyshack, 40-year anniversary. And then Pump Up the Volume, the greatest movie we've ever done on the rewatchables that is not available for streaming. Hopefully, that podcast will change that reality. Um, check out both of those. And we have 40-Year-Old Virgin coming on Monday. Stay tuned for that. Wanted to mention Miller. During this time in social distancing, connecting with friends over beer. Maybe it looks a little different. Maybe it looks like that lottery show we just had four different people on a Zoom just looking at each other. But hey, that's fine. As the original light beer, Miller Lite has always been there to bring people together through Miller time. And in a world where you can't always be with your people, Miller time might be a moment on a Zoom call, a quick porch beer with your neighbors, maybe masking up for a socially distant hangout outside. Whether you're toasting two friends near or far, great taste is always close by. It's been great taste of my life since I was in college. As Joe House mentioned, uh, a couple weeks ago, probably the best golf course beer. I have it number one, Soda's House. Right now, enjoying Miller Lite with friends. It might look different for everyone, but we know that staying connected is just as important. Um, whether you do it with your family, your roommates, your partners, maybe you're doing it digitally. Um, it's always a good excuse to have Miller time. From online happy hours to socially distanced picnics and every 500-piece puzzle in between. We're enjoying new ways of spending time with our friends. Miller Lite. Great taste with only 96 calories and 3.2 carbs. You can have the original light beer delivered. Forgot to mention this. By going to MillerLite.com forward slash BS, find the delivery options near you. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. Without further ado, Nori Princiata, here she is. All right. This is Nora week. On uh, on the ringer because we did the rewatchables pump up the volume. We talked about Nora De Niro, one of the great one of the great characters ever, and now Nora Princiati from the Ringer is going to talk NFL with us. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, even though apparently I've not seen that movie, but apparently I have very big shoes to fill. 
It's it's tough. I was telling you the pantheon of Norris. What the, so Nora Ephron? Yeah, I used to tell people at bars that I was named after Nora Ephron, which I was not, but that was a lie <laughs> I liked to tell in college. <laughs> Were they impressed or unimpressed? It would I mean neither. It's like a very niche. It was a good way for me to know if I was going to get along with someone. Yeah, They'd true. Be like, oh if, yeah, Nora Ephron. Right. Uh, let's talk NFL first. So. I've been following the Pats. I don't know if you know this, but I like the Patriots. Um, there's for some reason they're pretending there's a QB battle with Cam Newton and Jared Stidham and Brian Hoyer. And then the reports every day are like, Oh, Cam Newton's way better than these other guys. Why are they doing this? Why, why can't they just give him the job? So I think just for, for it's more fun this way, right? Like make a little suspense, but no, it's just ridiculous. And I think the thing that I think is silly about it is that, it's probably going to go on for all of camp. Like one, we really only have a couple weeks and two, there's going to be this thing. This is my theory. This isn't like inside info, but all of camp Stidham and Hoyer, because they know the system a little bit better. They've been around the block once. They're going to look a little bit more competent. Yeah. And everybody's going to be like, Oh, I don't know. Newton doesn't know the system. He doesn't know the Patriots. He doesn't know. Is Bill Belichick really going to have a quarterback who can't change the play at the line of scrimmage, who can't audible, who doesn't know it well enough? And then they're going to have to have a starting quarterback and it's going to be Cam Newton. And we're all going to feel really silly because only one of these people actually knows how to be a high level NFL quarterback. And it's Cam Newton. Well, also, Belichick has more to prove than anybody. Totally. It's not like he wants to mess around. He would love to go 12 and four or however many games we end up playing this year. What What do you think the total number of games will be this year? You think we'll get to 16? I kind of do. I'm starting to, I don't know if I have like Stockholm syndrome, but I, I'm starting to be like, ah, they can do it. They'll be fine. And meanwhile, it's like anytime anything starts to go wrong, like Matt Stafford has a false positive and they're like, oh, well that was annoying. So let's change the protocol. And it's, I right. mean, I get it. That was a, that wasn't fun if you're Matt Stafford, but there's part of me that does feel like, no guys, this is going to be annoying. And the fact that you had to deal with an inconvenience means that it's actually kind of working. So we can't just make these little adjustments when things start to go wrong. So I I don't know, but I'm starting to feel like, you know, they're talking about a playoff bubble. I'm, I'm picturing a month somewhere in, in Florida with me and Kevin Clark, just getting really sick of each other. And (laughs) a month, it would be take two days to get sick of Kevin Clark. The, uh, (laughs) I, I have, not let my guard down yet. And here's how I know it. Cause I haven't done any fantasy football homework yet. Other than listen to our excellent fantasy football show a couple of times. I have not crossed that line where I'm like, all right, I'm actually going to do my whole thing. I'm going to spend a week. I'm going to figure out the over unders. I'm going to figure out my bets. I'm going to figure out my fantasy football. I've been holding it off. Like it's a term paper in college. Cause I just want to make sure we're gonna have a season, but now it's like we're heading into the last 10 days of August here there's no preseason. So everything's out of whack. So it's like all all the little mental checkpoints you have as football gets closer and closer and you get the hall of fame game. And then the first couple shitty weeks of preseason and somebody gets hurt. Everybody complains about whether we're missing all these checkpoints, except for hard knocks. Hard knocks is the only thing that has made this feel like this is about to be real, but I, how, how much longer can I wait? Like I, in the next week I have to break down and officially admit this is happening. Right. Yeah, I think so. It's funny. It's like hard knocks 
Like they used to use sundials to know what time it is. Now we just like, we have a hard knocks based calendar. Yeah, totally. You've got to do it. I think you can wait until 10 days, 10 days, 15 days. That that's kind of your range. The thing that's interesting about it though, is that, I mean, I think you can get away with that for fantasy purposes. I do think one of the most interesting things about this season for the teams is going to be who does the the team building and the planning version of that and who doesn't because I've been paying a lot of attention to the Saints. One super relevant team, super great roster, Drew Brees, Sean Payton, no brainer. But the thing that's interesting about them, and I don't know if it has anything to do with the fact that Sean Payton had COVID in March, but he's been really aggressive about being like, I don't care that we're not allowed to force the players to stay in a hotel this year. I'm going to get a hotel and have as many of them as will do it, do it. Yeah. I don't care that we haven't figured out, you know, if we're even going to make it to the playoffs, I'm going to suggest that we do a playoff bubble. He's very like, he doesn't seem to need all these perfect answers, which we're just not going to get to come up with a plan to do something that he thinks is going to help. And I think that's, you know, you think about the teams like the Seahawks, taking a big swing and making a trade for someone that can help their secondary and Jamal Adams. I think those teams are going to be in a much better place this year than the teams that are kind of like, ah, what's going on? I'm, I'm, I don't have complete information. So let's wait and see. Yeah. Because there's no, like you're, you're not going to know, like you are not going to know when you draft your fantasy team, if there's going to be a full season, you're not going to know if you should pick guys that have an earlier you know, hard games early in the schedule or late. And I think there's some real value in just kind of going for it because right. unless the season's like an abject disaster, those are the teams that are going to have a plan and come out of this with a plan. Well, I was talking to uh, your Boston neighbor, my dad, and uh, trying to figure out like, well, first of all, if he, if he could ever come out here again, but if he did, would there be a fun weekend to come out? The U.S. Open for golf, it culminates Sunday, September 17th, which will also be, will be in the NBA conference finals at that point. Right. We also have a Sunday night Patriots Seahawks game. Right. And I'm thinking like, no pandemic. This is the dream weekend for my dad to come out. We'll just watch TV all weekend and go nuts for the Boston team and the whole thing. And that was the first time I was like, oh, football. And there's going to be basketball at the same time. And we're going to have, like, I can barely handle all the basketball now. It's four a day. I'm trying to watch as much as I possibly can. We're going to get to the conference finals. And then we're going to have this football wrinkle. Not to mention, do you think that they're going to play the Saturday football card? Because it seems like that might be a belated in play, right? It's in play. It's harder than people think it is because um, the government is involved. Oh, there's some, there's some weird laws. I've heard um, bad things about the government. Yeah. The government gets a little hairy when we deal with those guys. <laughs> there's, I'm not even going to try to to nail this, but there's like an antitrust element yeah. to when they can do the games. And so it, it's harder than, you know, the NFL will always go for a money grab, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. Can you talk about, uh, give us your empty stadium theory. Okay. So <laughs> 
It's going to be really wild because it seems like they're going to do some form of pumping in sound, which they kind of have to do because it's actually already really easy for defensive players to just watch the TV copy and and pick up a lot of the signals um, because they they mic the linemen and, you know, we've all watched football games. You can hear some of the stuff that they're saying. And if you're Von Miller, you actually understand what it means. Well, especially with Tom Brady, that I always felt like that was a huge disadvantage because the Pats were on TV all the time and you could hear half of his calls at the line. Rita, Rita, Rita. Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. Um, the thing that's interesting is that NFL stadiums actually really differ in where the speakers are around them. So yeah. if you have um most of the domed stadiums have, you know, it's it's coming from the roof. Um most of the open air ones, it's all the speakers are sort of interspersed uh, all the way around it. Some of them are are just on one side. And that has that makes a huge difference in what it sounds like if you pump noise, whether it's, you know, you're doing a Led Zeppelin concert or doing an NFL game into those speakers. Mm. So I just think there's going to be one. I would mark in your calendar probably weeks two and three some A-plus coach griping, I would expect. Oh, yeah. Because they're going to be all upset about their signals. And then it's going to be this whole new layer of which stadiums are good to play in, just a wrinkle depending on where teams are because the sound is going to travel in these really, really, really different ways based on the configuration of the stadium. One of the teams that'll be really interesting for it, the 49ers, there's only a couple stadiums where all of the sound comes from one side of the stadium, and they're one of them. So beyond just, you know, we're going to hear guys swearing and stuff, it could actually be like a, a, a real competitive advantage or disadvantage to some people. So do you think they're going to have to litigate exactly how far you can take the noise depending on the stadium? And the follow-up question to that is, this sounds like a new way for Bill Belichick to lose a draft pick. I'm just going to start preparing emotionally. We've like, Kyle, we already lost our fourth round pick. He's going to do something to screw this up. That's illegal. I'm bummed. So the good news is that Gillette is one of the stadiums where, where the speakers are really evenly spaced out. Oh, so great. That's good. That's, 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 Bad news for monkey business, which tends to be good news for the Patriots. Um, I think they're just going to have to live with it. Yeah. But, you know, that's always that's easier said than done. Well, there's some teams that are going to take a huge hit because we've seen this in the NBA. The, the biggest thing we've learned in round one is it's really changed kind of what we were used to with a structure of a series where home team game one, you got the crowd, home, especially the high seeds. They always win game one. And this time around, the Bucks lost and the Lakers lost. They were the one seeds. And it was like, oh, they just lost that advantage. Then you also see Phillies down 2 nothing. Normally, they would be coming back to Philly for game three. The crowd would try to rally them back. No, it's they're in a bubble. It's going to be the same situation as the game before. And I wonder with football, you would think Seattle and Kansas City, um, Indianapolis, maybe like five teams that the home thing was a huge, huge advantage for them. I don't know how you replicate that with just fake sound. And then on the flip side, places that didn't have a great advantage with crowd noise and stuff like <coughs> the chargers now can just pump in whatever the fuck they want. Right. For the first time they can have fake fans. That'll be better than the fans they had. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, Seattle, I feel like has got to have it the worst just because they already have, they always had the travel disadvantage sometimes when they would have to go West to East, but then they had such an advantage at home. So you'd take away the, the home field, the 12th man, and then you still have, you know, they're still going to have to travel and, and do the bad body clock situation. So I, I think it'll be different. I mean, I always think the travel thing is is the bigger deal than just the crowd, but it'll yeah. change some stuff. Yeah, th- I mean that'll be for the Seahawks if they have to either. Uh, I don't know. I guess teams are going to travel probably the same, right? Or if if you think by the time we get to the playoffs, there's a bubble, maybe then travel's gone and that's easier for certain teams. I don't know. It's a great yeah. unknown. It's well, right, and and that's the thing is is. They're just going to have to say, okay, when there's some competitive imbalance, which again is just not in the DNA of a lot of these people that are going to have to like take a deep breath and say, okay, you know, maybe it's not fair. Maybe I don't like it, but this is how we're going to have to do it to, to get it done. So it's going to be a great season for gripes is one Mm. of my predictions. Well, speaking of gripes. We're going to get some media gripes. We're going to get some reporters upset that they don't have the same access. And we're already starting to feel that this week with people are complaining about, uh, I think it was the Packers. They were telling the reporters not to say who is first string, second string. Are you excited for the reporter gripes about lack of access, all of those different things? So as a, as a former Patriots beat writer, I got to side with my brethren here. I I will say, I thought that was always the case. I thought that was just a rule that everybody broke. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> if you read the back of there's, you know, there's a sheet that they hand out and it's got all sorts of rules. And I used to get that thing every year. And, and, you know, with my sincere apologies to Patriots PR, who does a very good job, I would always look at that thing and go, okay, well, they can get <laughs> Thanks mad at anyway. me. If- <laughs> That's does, nice. Does access, how much does it actually matter for covering an NFL team, uh, the league, the whole thing. You know, I think that the, the access to people at big events is more important than the every single day thing, but you do, you build up a certain kind of, you know, does it make Bill Belichick's answers 2% better to people if he sees them in the second row at his press conferences every single morning? Like, yeah, maybe. It's, I don't know where I totally fall on that because I think sometimes you can get a lot out of it and other times it just makes people sort of susceptible to groupthink and and everybody swims yeah. in the same direction. But relationships are important and sometimes it gives you a foundation of, you know, stuff to talk to people about when you're in Indy at the Combine or you're seeing people Super Bowl week. I mean, I always found that stuff much more important. In tra- even of, training camp stuff that Clark always goes yeah. on those training camp tours and can sidle up to people and do the whole thing. And then now that's gone. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of, it's been interesting because the people that, you know, the people that we already know they're sitting at home too. So what I've found the last few months is that some people are really accessible, but oh. to actually, well, cause what else are they going to do besides, yeah. you know, take my phone call or whatever. But it is if you really want to make a new contact or like, oh, that person's cool. That person's got an interesting story. I kind of want to get to know them. That's the part that I think we haven't quite 
figured out yet. Um, I'm going to combine two of your favorite passions, football and pop music with the following question. If Aaron Rodgers was a pop star, which pop star would he be and why? <laughs> this is literally okay. So Aaron Rodgers, it, it's not because she's my favorite. Aaron Rodgers is Taylor Swift. I figured that's why that's what I was going for with the answer. This okay, is a explain. home run. So okay, I explain. have I have some friends who I ran into on the street in Boston a few weeks ago. They were walking their dog and uh, my friend and her boyfriend. And her boyfriend says, Nora, a few days ago, I made a list of which NFL players were which Taylor Swift songs. But then I deleted it because I didn't think you'd want to see it. And I've like never been more angry at a person in my entire <laughs> life. And I forced these people to just like stand on the corner of Commonwealth Avenue with me for like half an hour going, no, forever and always is Aaron Rodgers. It's totally Aaron Rodgers. But the thing is, is that the more you think about it, every single one is Aaron Rodgers because yeah. there's that combination of bravado and vulnerability, which is just such a slam dunk Rodgers combo that... I mean, I'd always, so when I was covering the Patriots, it was always like my deepest desire that Taylor Swift would start dating a Patriot. Yeah. She lives, she's got a place in Rhode Island. It always felt like it was in play. Never happened. Rogers would be the next best thing. Although if you want to talk about just like a combination of that kind of energy that could not possibly end well, like he would win a Super Bowl, she would win a Grammy but it would take so much messiness in the meantime that it's it's best that we just avoid it. But it's totally it's Aaron Rodgers. There it's, are a lot of th there are a lot of similarities, even down to whenever they're dating somebody, how it gets dissected and how it gets introduced to the public and all that. It's almost like they have the same same kind of advisor for how to tell people who they're dating. And then people are always like, really, you're dating that person? And then how it evolves. Totally. You know what I mean? It's like you can't. You can't totally typecast it, which always makes no like there's an eyebrow raise that happens there. A lot of a lot of sort of flirting with drama, but then oh, I don't care about this. This isn't me. It's totally there. It's it's like the most slam dunk comparison ever. Were you excited that Taylor was one of the only winners of 2020 so far? Um, I'm trying not to gloat about this, Bill. So. <laughs> It's her and Juice World who's dead. Those, those are the two biggest music winners we've had so far. Can you talk about what uh, what it's like to be in your mid-20s and love music but not be able to go to see live music? Because this is kind of your... I, I don't want to spoil the rest of your life for you, but you're never going to care more than you do right now about going to see this stuff. Every year, 2% less. You want to leave the house, go and deal with the crowd, all that. This is... This is it. This is your prime right now. And it's not happening. You can't see anything. Um, wow. I feel great. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was. So it's funny. Um, speaking of, you know, the love of my life, Taylor Swift, uh, whole big concert festival, lover fest plan this summer. And the two places that she was going to do shows in the U S were Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts, a place I know very well, and in Los Angeles. And I was going to go to both. It was going to be great. Um, first time that she'd planned to do kind of like a festival style thing instead of, you know, a 
traipse all across the country kind of tour. Um, I'm very sad that it's not happening. I think I've attempted to fill that, that hole by just, I spend a lot of time watching old Taylor Swift and, and others, um, concert videos like on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. So it really is though. I mean, there's like a, so one of her first big stadium shows was at Gillette. It was the speak now tour. And it's, it's a little bit of a famous show because now looking back, there are all these famous Taylor Swift concerts where just like a downpour opened up, which is kind of funny because the pouring rain is such a recurring trope in her songs that there's like nothing more fitting than just the skies opening up on top of a Taylor Swift concert. And it so does do you, seem to- So she's making this happen? Does she, what does she do? She calls God? I think she has her own weather patterns. Got it. That, that would be my feeling. Um, there's a, there's a Taylor lyric that's, and it rains in your bedroom. So apparently she can also make it rain inside. Therefore. Didn't know that. Yeah, no, it's like a little known fact, but first time this happened, um, was at the show at Gillette and I was watching a video of this the other day and it's, it really is incredible because it starts to pour and it's one of the first times that she's ever done a, a football stadium. And, you know, she's like 19 or something and is looking around and you can sort of see her as she's doing this song, a song called Long Live, which is like a very, it's like Taylor doing Springsteen. It's like anthemic and it's, you know, the crowd's super into it. And you can see her looking around and realizing that people aren't going to leave Oh, and this is totally it's like lost to history, except for like really grainy YouTube footage. But it is the coolest thing because she's so young and you can just see on her face. Oh, my gosh, they're actually going to stay and see me keep doing this. And it is genuinely so cool to watch. So I think I've been filling the 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 losing lover fest void by just like watching that over and over again. And, you know, she's done the Netflix stuff and and that all helps. But yeah, it would be, it would be nice to have some shows. Are you talking about the infomercial she had on Netflix? <laughs> I'm talking about they did a concert. Um, the Reputation Tour also had its own Netflix special. Uh, but I, documentary. I, I was Go fascinated ahead. by the documercial. <laughs> so mean. It's, there was a couple pieces there where I'm like, oh man, we're getting somewhere. And then it was like, no, that door is going to close now. But the, the takeaway, the, the stealth takeaway from that documentary was like, this is a person who just really, really wants our affection. It's really oh, important. Totally. To her. And when it got flipped on her a couple of times, those were the most honest parts of the whole documentary. Like when she didn't get nominated for a Grammy and you could see her kind of processing it in her crazy Taylor brain. And then within 10 seconds, she's like, all right, I just got to make a better album. And she was on, it was like Belichick was like on, on to Cincinnati. She was, but for 10 seconds, she was completely devastated. And then she snapped out of it. And I look, I don't know if they rehearsed that or whether how authentic that was, whether that was actually what happened. But I, to me, that was the most fascinating part. For sure. Yeah. And I was, that's, I mean, I have a list of questions that I would love to ask her if I could ever like give her truth serum. And that's absolutely one of them is, is does she think that 
Reputation, which is the album that she learned didn't get nominated, was a failure because commercially it was not at her normal level of success. Critically, it ended up doing pretty well. I really like that album. I think it's cool. I I get that it's not for everybody. It's not something you turn on in the middle of the afternoon when you're, you know, trying to get some work done or whatever, but it's experimental. It's really interesting. She tries on a lot of styles. Not all of them fit, but she just does stuff. And it's actually been interesting to me to see how people have responded to the new album, Folklore, because... I, I think there's a little bit of unpacking to do about like our collective relationship with genre just because of the seriousness that we confer on anything that's kind of like indie vibes. Yeah. And people woke up that morning and they saw a grayscale photograph on Instagram and lowercase track titles and, you know, the national and Bonnie Vare. And I think decided, oh, this is going to be Taylor Swift doing sophisticated music. And I really like the album. I think it's really good, but I I don't think that's right. I I think she's made more interesting and sophisticated choices on songs, you know, like I Knew You Were Trouble, which like, in you know, it was not the first big mainstream pop song to incorporate dubstep by any means, but it was in a really big place. And it was still pretty early in that being what we heard on the radio. Yeah. And stuff like that, that, you know, it's it's poppy, it's girly, it's silly, it's campy. I think there's a little bit of a weird thing that happens where where it feels like that can't be sophisticated by definition. But something like this, where it's it's derived from folk music and it's singer songwriter has to be. And that's always been a little bit strange to me because again, I just think there are some there are some really considered and interesting choices on those songs that are are silly or campy or just fall in a different, you know, they're for a different purpose. They're for a party, they're not for an afternoon drive. But I don't to me that doesn't match up. That doesn't mean that they're less serious. So that that's been an interesting journey, just seeing how people reacted to folklore because I really like it. But I, I just don't think it's the most sophisticated music she's ever made. But it had a gray photo. The Springsteen thing, it's, it's interesting you brought him up because, I mean, I think he was the best at this specific thing, which was at least for the first 20 years, where he'd put an album out and there was always a specific reason he did it. And you you got it right away. And it always had a vibe. And like when he put out Nebraska, it was like, Oh my God, it was so depressing and, and just all the lyrics and all that. But it was very intentional because the next album that he put out was Born in the USA, which is this big, huge, patriotic album. And then it goes the other way with Tunnel of Love, which was the next album, which was basically about him falling in love with somebody and getting his heart broken. And the three albums are so different, but I, you know, it was intentional. And it does seem like she has a little bit of that where each album she's doing, there's a specific reason she wants to do it. Now, I never know with her how calculated all of it is. Because I don't think with Springsteen, I don't think he was thinking of it from a marketing um, perception standpoint. It was just whatever kind of mood he was in. And with her, it seems like a combo of mood plus what she's probably learned from Madonna and some of these other people who have to constantly reinvent themselves. So she's like trying to tweak 
the public character and whatever point of, of her career she's at musically with the choice. But I think she's navigated that as well as probably anybody in the internet era. She's always been able to stay interesting, which most people can't do it. They can't do it for more than five years. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is always what it, you know, what it comes down to for me with Taylor is that this is her eighth album. And I think they've all been really good. And there's not a lot of people in my lifetime that have done that. Like eight huge albums that all made a big impact, all did different things, all have songs that people still remember and still play. Like that's, that's some people don't even get to eight albums. Some people don't get to four albums. Right. Yeah. She's impressive. I got to say, it's been interesting watching my daughter's relationship with her too, because my daughter obviously loves this stuff and she's been out like two different times over the last five years, but then back in, which I, I think that's a lot of people's experience. But you mentioned the YouTube thing. I do think that's something with like your generation and below where with concerts and stuff really for the last 14 years. So it's probably one generation above you, maybe everyone 35 and under where they're able to see their favorite bands, all of this awesome footage of them performing. Like when I was in college, when the band was in town, you went to see it. If you didn't see it, maybe they played on a late night show. Maybe they played on one, 120 minutes on MTV or like one of those type of things. But for the most part, we didn't really get to see them perform at all. And that was such a huge appeal of going to the concert. It was like, Oh wow. We get to see these, these, these people play. And now it's like, you, there's so much footage. Like I can't even imagine how many Taylor Swift songs are probably on YouTube, right? There's probably tens of thousands that you can just digest. So I think that's different. I don't know if that's better or worse. Yeah. Because there's no mystery. Yeah. It's all accessible. And it's interesting because I think there's a lot of, um, there's bands that were either like a little bit before my time. Like I, I love the, the chicks formerly known as the Dixie chicks. Mm. Um, and I was, I was too young for them. The, the prime of the first time around, but you know, there's a great documentary about them. Yeah. And you can feel like you were there. And that was kind of, you know, I, I already listened. I listened to the albums, but I didn't have the, where does this group fit kind of in, in culture reference points with them until the documentary, even like I love Oasis, which is totally weird. Like I'm not that demo. That, first of all, that's not weird at all. They, they, they had really good songs. Like they were really good songwriters. I'm not surprised you like them. There's like, there are so right. And the reason that I feel that way is because there's a good Oasis doc and yeah. you can see how people responded to them. You can see how wacky they are. You can see them fighting and you can see them performing. And I do think that, you know, I don't think that we're going to see really anybody who's reached a certain level, not think about how do I get this on video? How do I get this on some sort of platform so that people can consume it in that way? Because even though, yeah, like people my age, probably most of us go to a lot of concerts, have some form of opportunity to, you know, in in normal times, see a band or a singer that we love when they come into town, but it's getting even easier, right? Because if you're in a place where Netflix wants that, 
yeah. then you can put it there and everybody can see it. You know who Oasis was as a football player? I'm trying to think. Antonio Brown. <laughs> That's terrible. No, like super talented, own worst enemy. Couldn't stay get out, out of their, their own, own way. way. Yeah. The relationship of those two brothers, they just couldn't get past it. Like they, they it was so volatile. Yeah. It, it prevented them from having this, you know, 25 year career. Cause ultimately they were great songwriters and they were great together and it just couldn't last. They just couldn't pull it off. Like Antonio Brown, I mean, for a variety of reasons, it's not going to happen, but this was a guy who is on pace to be the third best receiver of all time. It was Jerry Rice. It was Moss. And then it was going to be Antonio Brown. And he's not that old and he's done. He's out. He has too many baggage. Too many things have happened. Oasis was done within, I don't know, six years. That They should have been around for 20. It's a bummer. It, similar Twitter habits too. <laughs> I would say similar, like just people in their lives being like, oh my God, what? I mean, the Gallagher brothers are all time. Believe me, it was just as crazy in the nineties watching it happen. Being like, oh no, these guys, um, there's an interesting Go-Go's documentary on Showtime that you should check out. Oh, Speaking I haven't of music, seen that. Music documentaries. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, obviously we're working on one for HBO right now, a series. But I think in general, like the, uh, the bar for music docs is starting to climb a little bit. And there's, we're hitting a point where I think most people who did anything at least have one at this point. There's mostly bad, but then there will be some good ones out there too. So it really well, that's, depends. That's the thing is that there's, I think there was a whole wave of just let's get something out always super infomercially. Like there, you know, there's something about yeah, that's most the Backstreet Boys or whatever. And, and that happened really quickly. But I hope that people start kind of revisiting those and doing them for real because there's a whole, I, I think there's a whole wave of, of, you know, the pop stuff that I grew up with, which is sort of, late boy bands, Britney era into yep. the Avril Lavigne, Ashley Simpson kind of like right. female driven pop that there is a lot there. And I think at the time it was just a, just such like a sort of us weekly era. Who are they dating? What's going on? What's the drama? Who's having a falling out? Who's dating Wilmer Valderrama this week that, no one really ever asked the questions of like, okay, where are these people being placed within pop music? Like, who are the influences? What's mm. what's the goal here? Like, what, what, you know, there were people sitting in rooms thinking about what they wanted out of those careers for those people. And those people themselves had their own goals and, and their own musical interests and own things that they wanted to accomplish. And I just think it's super, I mean, I, I think it's starting to happen, but it's, Totally wide open. There's so many forces in play to prevent somebody from doing a documentary, which is something we've been dealing with for the last couple of years. But, you know, you have the company that owns the music. Sometimes it's a different person that owns some of the IP, but then you have the actual artist and the people protecting them. Um, so, you know, like the an unbelievable documentary would be Britney Spears, right? You could do a whole documentary built around Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake and her at the peak. And then when it unravels 
and it would be an unbelievable two hours if somebody did it correctly. Guess what? It will never happen. Nobody will ever see that documentary because he's not going to be in it. He's not getting interviewed for it. She's not getting interviewed, period. And then the people around her will be like, yeah, we're not doing this. So it's just this idea that's just kind of over here in, in the ether that will just never happen. And meanwhile, it would be amazing. I wonder if maybe people do books. Maybe that's a little easier. Or maybe it'll be us doing an audio podcast about it. Who knows? Someday. Um, Nora, this is a pleasure. Welcome. Um, um, I hope your first BS podcast experience went well. We can hear you on Sunday nights with Clark and then uh, popping up a couple other times on a couple different Ringer feeds, right? Did I leave? And plus, we can read you on the website, ringer.com. Absolutely. Bingo. All right. Good to see you. Thank you. All right. Thanks to Spotify. Thanks to FanDuel. Thanks to Simply Safe. Remember, they have everything you need to protect your home with none of the drawbacks of traditional home security. You can set it up yourself in under an hour. No technician required. No contract. No pushy sales, guys. No hidden fees. No fine print. All of it starts at $50 a month. Head to simplysafe.com slash BS. Get a free HD camera for my listeners. Simplysafe.com slash BS. Simply Safe with two eyes. See you this weekend. Uh, we'll be back Sunday night, me and Rosillo. Until then. <laughs> 